Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7 in the morning. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman is here. I'm Randy Carriker, and happy postseason day, Michelle. Happy postseason day to you, Randy. Boy, do we need Cardinals postseason baseball. It has arrived. It's one of those mornings that has a little bit of a chill in the air. It's a perfect day for some postseason baseball action. And the Cardinals will pitch. Their left-hander, KK, and he will be opposed by Chris Paddock of the San Diego Padres. You can see the game this afternoon at 4 o'clock on this afternoon's an ESPN2 game. I want to make sure that I have this right. It's an ESPN2 game. And today we have eight different baseball games to be played. And obviously the highlight for us will be the Cardinals as we sit here at 7 o'clock in the morning on day one of the Cardinals postseason. How are you feeling? I feel great. I know that this is a tough task for the Cardinals. Uh, The Padres are an interesting team. They're a really fun team to watch. They have a great offense. But I think if you look at this matchup, this is something that the Cardinals can get done, Uh, especially with the pitching that they have compared to the pitching of the Padres. It's going to be an interesting matchup, and I feel good about it. Here's a stat for you, and I know that there are a lot of disgruntled Cardinal fans because they aren't the Dodgers or they aren't the Yankees. But if you want to be a little bit gruntled, you can take solace in this. <laughs> okay. The This is the 25th year of ownership for Bill DeWitt and his group. This is the 15th time the Cardinals have been in the postseason in those 25 years. I think most baseball fan bases shy of the Yankees would take that. It would take that quarter century of baseball. Yeah, I would definitely take that over a, a Padre squad, even though they're so fun to watch this year that hasn't had a taste of this since 2006. I yeah. would definitely take the Cardinals over that. And as we approach this, it's amazing to me how many people are approaching today with a defeatist attitude instead of the hope that they should have. Because this is postseason baseball. We know better than any other fan base here in St. Louis. You get in and anything can happen. And this is a weird year anyway. So I think that we should approach this with some optimism, Randy. <laughs> We're going to talk to Mark DeRosa of MLB Network, former Cardinal at 745, plus Tony Gwynn Jr. at 930. But yesterday, Mike Schiltz spoke to the media and talked about this unprecedented two-day break that the Cardinals enjoyed. I think it could, I mean, you're talking about guys literally getting their feet back under them physically and mentally. So I think it's um, it's well-deserved, first of all, and um, I, I think it'll only provide benefit for sure. Think about just from our standpoint, and we aren't on our feet for three hours a day and traveling all the time, but think about how refreshing a weekend is. Yeah. Getting two days off. Yeah. And the Cardinals got a weekend for the first time in a month. 
Do you think that this is going to benefit them more physically or mentally? Because obviously it'll have great repercussions for them both ways, but you got to think mentally it's going to be nice for them to get kind of a, yeah, a breather. I, and a full night's sleep and the ability just to go out there and not be thinking about what happened yesterday or not be thinking thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. This is the time of year where baseball players really can live in the moment, and they generally are pretty good about putting the past behind them, but they're thinking about tomorrow. These are the days where you think about being in the moment, and I think that's a great point. Mentally, this is the time to get locked in, and if you have that ability, we're going to hear from Matt Carpenter in a second. Matt Carpenter is the, the classic case of the guy who... If he can lock in mentally and not be thinking about his swing, maybe something good could come of it. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it, to see Matt Carpenter get hot right yeah. now? And I wonder if he'll even be in the lineup. But if you could get him in the lineup and get him hitting, that'd be a great thing. Now, obviously, we learned yesterday that Adam Wainwright will start game two, and Jack Flaherty, if the Cardinals sweep in this series, will not pitch. Mike Schilt on that decision. It's a great, um, great decision to have, right, Jack? or Adam Wainwright, but really the, the tipping point was, um, I think you already said it, Waino has been fantastic. And, you know, our team individually has been the MVP and how they've gone about it, but this guy's done, he's been a, he's been a unbelievable resource and leader on and off the field for this team, and he's pitched extremely well. So he's been very consistent, and um, he's also been in a lot of these tight moments. And so all those factors, I mean, we were talking yesterday, him coming out of the bullpen here in 2006 on that World Series run. You know, this is a guy that's been, been, been through it. And, um, you know, Jack would, you know, game three, we get to game three, that's a pretty pivotal game two. So just went Wayno game two for those reasons. And if we go to a game three, we'll have every bit of the cops in Jack. Obviously, Michelle, every player is locked in at playoff time. But it might be different for Adam Wainwright in that he's 39 and he he can see the end of this line in 2006 or in 2009, maybe even in 2014. He, he really wasn't looking at the end of the line. But I would have to believe that now, more than ever, if ever a guy was going to be locked in on a start, it's going to be him tomorrow. He is conditioned for postseason baseball. He knows what to do. He knows how to approach this. He knows what he's given this team this season. And if he knows the end of the line is there somewhere, everything is out of the tank for him. Every single yep. thing is out of the tank for him. And it has been all season. So I expecting, I, I'm expecting nothing less than what we've seen from Adam Wainwright almost every start that he's had this season for the Cardinals. You mentioned that the Cardinals have had a lot of postseason success. The Padres, not so much. Like you said, they haven't been in a playoff game since 2006. So that allows Mike Schilt, as opposed to Jace Tingler, the manager of the Padres, Mike Schilt's able to put together a plan heading into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we value experience. You can't rely on it, but it's a great tool to have. People know what this is about, know how to go about it. You know, we'll play our game, aware of what their game is, and they've got, they do. You know, you're always looking for ways to beat the other team, and that's what competition's about, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, they are a balanced team, to your point. They do a little bit of everything. They, you know, they swing the bats, they have some pop, they can run, um, they'll bunt, uh, they play solid defense. You know, their pitchers throw strikes, they're around the plate. So, you know, they're going to make you earn it, which is what you would expect in a playoff situation. So, you know, but it really comes down to us. It comes down to how we execute, how we control counts and how the, how we have quality of bats and, and we, we execute, you know, consistently. We do that. Ultimately, that's all we can ask. And that'll be good enough or it won't be. And typically it is. And everybody is feeling that way. The question is, 
are the Cardinals capable if the, if they execute their plan and they play as well as they possibly can? Are their guys good enough to win multiple series? I, I would think at a best of three when you have KK. Wainwright, Flaherty, you're capable of winning two out of three. But are the Cardinals capable of winning four out of seven against the Dodgers, who they they would see in the next round? Yeah, it's going to be a tough task. (laughs) And as we saw last season, you can have great pitching, but if the offense doesn't show up, if you're not getting those quality at-bats like Mike Schilt mentioned, it's only going to carry you so far. While pitching is what you need in the postseason, dominant pitching is what you need in the postseason, you're also going to need some run support. You're going to need the offense to show up for you. We get a text from the 636 It says, I believe this is the worst Cardinal team to ever enter the playoffs. I thought last year was bad, but when we lost Ozuna, it just made it worse. And I think that's legit Mm -hmm. because the Cardinals, when we talk about the randomness of the playoffs and the World Series that they did win with arguably their two worst playoff teams prior to this year in 06 and 11, they had Albert and they had Chris Carpenter. And when you have Albert and Chris Carpenter, you've got two stalwart guys anchoring your pitching staff and your lineup. You do have, I believe, an anchor pitcher right now, although he doesn't have the pedigree of Carpenter. But they really don't have that anchor hitter where you say, okay, that's the guy. And I feel really good. Even all due respect to Paul Goldschmidt, if he comes up against Trevor Rosenthal and the Cardinals are down a run in the ninth inning, Do you feel the same about Paul Goldschmidt that you did about Albert Pujols in those days? I don't know if I would feel the same about anybody that I felt about Albert Pujols in those days. And in those days, Albert Pujols stepped in the box and you knew it was happening. You knew it was almost a guarantee that he was going to make something happen in a big moment. Yeah, so I can totally understand negativity. I just like uh, like to dream about the randomness of the playoffs and hope that something magical can happen. This is... As we have seen, it can be a magical time of year, and I like that better. I I certainly like where the Cardinals are better than the teams that didn't make the playoffs because you can't win if you aren't in the postseason, and that's, at the end of the day, the Cardinals, through everything they went through, were able to make it to the playoffs. And approaching it with no expectations and hoping for the best, I think, is is the best way to get at Mm -hmm. it mentally because if they don't win, okay, we, we were not expecting greatness. And if they do, then you're that much more excited. But I, I really think that this is a series that they're capable of winning. I, I really do, do. That's not just me being a Harriet the Homer over here. I think that they're capable of winning this. Another guy who thinks they're capable of winning it is a guy who really, well, he's not going to step up. He, he needs to step up, but he's not going to. And that's Matt Carpenter. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's no question that pitching, pitching wins baseball games, plain and simple. I mean, hitting is one of the hardest things to do in sports. It's very, it can be at times very touch and go. Um, you know, a really good offensive team can get shut down by a great pitcher on any given night, especially in the postseason. So anytime you got a great group of arms like we do, you got a really good chance to make a run. And, um, you know, I like our chances. So Marp was around, even though he wasn't a key player. He was around for the 2011 World Championship and was a key player when the Cardinals went to the World Series in 2013. He was arguably the Cardinals' best player in 2013. So as, as a coach's son and a guy who's been around now, he understands what it takes at least to succeed at this time of year. Well, I just think that a well-balanced club like we have, you know, is what you would, you know, obviously you're going to want to score runs. And you know, if you can drive any way you can get them, but if you, you know, in a postseason game where runs might come at a premium, being able to steal bases, being able to run the way we do, being able to, 
you know, put the ball in play um, like we can um, when we're going well. And then, you know, we've got some guys that can get hot and carry offense um, through, throughout a postseason. So if, any, if and when or any of those things all fall in place for us, you know, we could get on a little roll. You do need those things to fall into place. And, you know, some guys are due, you know, and what a better time than the postseason to make it happen. But to Matt Carpenter's point, this is a gosh, I just keep thinking about guys in 2011. It wasn't Albert Pujols when the Cardinals were down to their Mm -hmm. last strike twice. Sometimes you don't need that guy. You don't need the superstar to come in and make it happen. Yes, to get to that point, you had some unbelievable performances by Albert, but it could truly be anybody on this team to step up and get hot and help carry the Cardinals through this. Well, everybody seems to be thinking that Paul DeYoung could be a guy, and I don't disagree with that. He's been hot for a month. He's gotten hot at the Major League level for a month. We don't know what Dylan Carlson is capable of. Can Wong be a leadoff guy that helps you manufacture runs? The Cardinals were not good at manufacturing runs this year, but last year they were. Could they get into a situation where with their pitching, all they need to do is get a run in the seventh and then you try to have the bullpen lock it down? Sure, that could happen. Anything's possible at this time of year. How about the national stage for a Dylan Carlson? Mm Mm-hmm. What a time yeah. for somebody like him to make his, make his presence known to the baseball world. Be awesome. Wouldn't it? And one other fun text, and I'm glad that you look at us this way from the 314. Of course the Cardinals have a chance. It's 101. We are positivity. In a world in which there is so much negativity, we are sunshine, we are lollipops, we are happy, we are confident, we are optimistic. And that's what this world needs, and that's what Carriker and Smallman provides you. Yeah, I love baseball. I love watching Cardinal baseball. I don't hate watch the team. I don't hate watch them. I don't know how people derive, how if you're in St. Louis and you call yourself a Cardinal fan, how you derive joy from hate watching a team. You know? I, I think that there is a personality trait that allows for that. I'm not one of those people either, but I think there is certainly a personality trait that allows for uh, some self-loathing Sure. that uh, wants your favorite team to lose. But if that's the case, then I just wonder how much it costs. You know, people always complain about Bill DeWitt and his money. How much did it cost for him to buy real estate like that in your head? Think about that. (laughs) It's true. Good point. (laughs) Because it's a lot. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we've got a busy day with Mark DeRosa coming up at 745. That's normally when we're going to have Take It or Leave It, but because of D-Row coming up at 745, 715 is the time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Tioli coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, time for Tioli. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy with you. And Michelle, we were talking about this before the show. Yesterday, you had one game, including the team with the best record in the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays, hit Randy Arozarena third. They were playing Toronto. Toronto hit Randall Gritchick third. <laughs> Stephen Piscotty, who wasn't in the lineup yesterday, usually hits in the middle of the lineup for the Oakland A's. And today, the Cardinals will have, presumably, a lineup of Dylan Carlson, Harrison Bader, and Dexter Fowler. Take it or leave it, the Cardinals, even though it might not work for them, are the best team in baseball at producing outfielders. <laughs> 
<laughs> You've got to take it. Uh, yeah, they have a, a bound a cup that runs over of outfielders, and it really benefits yeah. a lot of other teams. And they, they didn't. I, I could have thrown Ozuna in there, but I'm just talking about guys that they developed, and we didn't even include Tommy Pham or Luke Voigt, who could be a DH for you if you had such a desire. You've got a lot of former Cardinals to root for in the playoffs, if you so desire. If you so desire, if that's your type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Miss Diaz is still bouncing around. Stings a little, doesn't it? Yeah, a little. <laughs> a little, a little. Okay, Randy, um, Dylan Carlson, you think he's going to hit fourth today? I do. Okay, so take it or leave it. Dylan Carlson hits fourth, and he hits a home run today. I'm going to leave that, even though they've improved that ballpark from a hitting perspective. I'm going to leave it, but I'm going to say he gets a hit. Okay. But I'm not. I don't. I'm not counting on him to hit home run. But if he hits one, I'll be thinking of you without question. He's going to hit one, and we're going to say hello, Dylan Carlson, or the or the country will say that because yep. we already know him. But I I think I just have a feeling about him. I just have a good feeling about him. I think a lot of fans, and especially if it happens late, like game starts at four o'clock St. Louis time. So if it happens, if he hits a home run at six fifteen St. Louis time, seven fifteen in the East. All those people that are watching in the Eastern Time Zone, just flipping through and seeing uh, ESPN two, let's see, man, that's more Cardinal Devil Magic. I never heard of that guy. <laughs> can he qualify? Since, he can because since he's supposed to be the next big guy. Uh, he he's is supposed to be that. He guy. is for us, but that's it's the guy that shows up at playoff time that people around the country have never heard of before. Okay, well then, yes, he definitely qualifies. Yeah. All right, Tanner, what do you got for us? From the 314, take it or leave it, the warming temperature of spring is better than the cooling temperatures of fall. Ooh, that's a really good one. I'm going to leave it, and it's it's close. I mean, this is a whisker that fall (laughs) wins by. But fall (laughs) does win, and it's not because of the cooling temperatures. It's just because it's a different feel. I went out for a bike ride yesterday, and it just... It was awesome. 60, 65 degrees and it just felt great. 65, here's why. 65 feels like it's the ideal temperature in fall. In spring, 65 feels warm. Yeah, I'm I'm going with cooling cooling temperatures. Because in spring, of course, you, you get that feeling and you, you know baseball is coming and mm-hmm. it's, you know, we've made it past winter. It's exciting. But in a typical fall, you've got college football. You've got postseason baseball. You've got bonfires and jackets. It's just the best time of year for so many reasons. This is where the uh, golf ball manufacturers make their money, too. Man, we lose a lot of golf balls (laughs) with the trees on the ground. From the 6-3-6, the Cardinals will take it or leave it. The Cardinals will be aggressive on the first pitch like the Yankees did last night. I'll take that. I think they will. I think that's a smart approach to take. I'll take it, too. Let's let's hope so. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a, a great line yesterday. And uh, Chris Burke was working with Dan Schulman on one of the ESPN broadcasts. It was a Toronto-Tampa broadcast. And uh, he was saying uh, the Rays sent up a pinch hitter, and he took a strike. And he said, man, that guy's up there to pinch hit, not pinch take. And Dan Schulman said, I never heard that before. Where'd you get that? And he said, it's a Tony La Russa line. Of course it is. <laughs> Tony La Russa told Orlando Palmero, he said... I'll send guys down if they don't swing at the first pitch and pinch hitter. You're you're up there to pinch hit, not pinch take. Well, he, he talked about that in the book in Three Nights yep. in August yeah. the, about that approach. What a great line. As someone that played tennis, I've been enjoying the French Open that's been going on of late. Uh, take it or leave it. Someone here at the station could return a 130-mile-per-hour serve and get it in. Ooh, that... I'm going to take it. I'm going to take you. Oh, okay, okay, excluding me, on-air okay. talent. Okay. 
Do you think Stalter could? Maybe. Ronji played tennis in high school. Did he? Yeah. Okay. He's in the mix there. I mean, he's kind of, Ronji's kind of a Tennessee guy, isn't he? If, if we're talking athletics, I'm always going to put my money on BT. Yeah, that's a great point. He could do it. 130 mile an hour serve, return yeah. it in. Yeah, he could do it. He could do it. Yeah. I mean, we saw him get on skates out at Centene, and he was he was taken he was to, to the ice like a duck takes to water. Yeah, how five about seconds. you? Could oh, you do it? No chance. Zero zero percent chance. Just, uh, when uh, Ranji goes to play tennis, do you think he wears a wears a sweater vest and B they call him Christopher? <laughs> I don't think he wears a sweater vest. I think he still wears a flat billed hat. And maybe they do call him Christopher, yeah. I'm just thinking that he's wearing, like, um, white tennis shorts with a navy sweater vest. I just, I'm picturing this. But, yeah, the flat build cap does have to play here. I've never seen him, I think, without that hat, hat like a that hat like Have that, you yeah. seen him without no, a hat I like that? No, It's unbelievable. He wears a, di- and he's got a great hat collection, Raji does. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't believe that I've ever seen him. Unless it was in a photo without a hat. Yeah, it's part of his look. Yeah. It's his uniform. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. Mashed potatoes are better than baked potatoes. Oh, leave it. Mashed potatoes, overrated. You heard it here first. Okay, I'm going to have to take this, Michelle. <laughs> I kind of have baked potato PTSD, I think, because we had it so <laughs> much as I was a, when I was a kid. I mean, so much. Like five nights a week, it seemed like we had baked potatoes. I don't like baked potatoes. And I like mashed potatoes way more. Are you the first recorded case in history of baked potato PTSD? I could be. Yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. So. Now, see, mashed potatoes, more times than not, mashed potatoes are done wrong. And they're lumpy. They don't have enough flavor. They're just kind of a blob on your plate. I also am not a gravy person. So mashed potatoes oh, and yeah, gravy right. has no allure for me. Now you're talking baked potato. You can load that thing up, Brandy. Some butter, some sour cream, some chives, some cheese, maybe a little bacon bits if you're getting crazy. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot you can do with a baked potato. I know you can. And I, I understand, and I'm not going to begrudge anybody who does choose the baked potato, but here's my, uh, this is how I set the tone for this. I would never, under any circumstances, in a restaurant, any restaurant, order a baked potato. Even if they're like McAllister's Deli, where it's one of their specialties, they have these spuds, I would never <laughs> order, ever order a baked potato in a restaurant. If you're going to a steakhouse, you're not getting steak, salad, baked potato? I'm going mashed potatoes. Oh, Huge mistake. Big mistake, huge. Garlic mashed potatoes? Okay, those are all right. And of course, if I'm going to pick a starchy thing, uh, if I'm going to pick a grain, it's going to, in a steak restaurant, I'm picking their lobster mac and cheese over either, either potato. Yeah, but what restaurant is going to let you substitute the potato for the lobster mac and cheese? It's going to be like a, quality, a $9 differential. A, any quality steakhouse. I don't care about the differential. <laughs> uh, I'm getting the mac and cheese. <laughs> the lobster mac and cheese. Yeah, right. Definitely. Take it or leave it from the 314. The Brewers bullpen game today beats the Dodgers, and then Woodruff is able to outduel Kershaw tomorrow. Brewers mm. sweep the Dodgers. I'll leave that. Mm. Brewers sweep the Dodgers. I'm going to leave that. Yeah, I I respect every team that's in the playoffs, but I just don't think that the Brewers are that good. I, as a matter of fact, in my postseason power rankings, I have the Brewers as number 16 of the 16 teams mm-hmm. below Houston. But as great as the Dodgers are and where you place the Brewers on your power rankings, would it totally, totally shock you 
if the Dodgers were eliminated early. Yes, it would stun me. Based if, on if, what's if happened the, with them in the postseason, though. But if the Brewers got them, but it's different now. You've got Mookie Betts playing great. They're pitching great. Their bullpen, we're talking about their, the Brewers' bullpen. Dodgers' bullpen is better than the Brewers' bullpen. So there's no logical reason to think. Now, we've had no logical reason things happen in baseball. There's no logical reason to think that there's a way that in a best of three, the Brewers could beat the Dodgers, except for the fact that it is best of three. I think for me, it's almost like an Atlanta Falcons blown lead at this point. I just assumed that the Dodgers were going to find a way (laughs) to not get it done, which is unfair based on their talent. But it just seems like it's written in the stars sometimes for them, Randy, to not get it done. I kind of hope it is. Me too. How about the Cards and Brewers in round two? I like the Cardinal's chances. I would, too. Thanks, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Next up, Dusty Baker, who was a pretty good hitter in his own right and a hitting coach, says it takes 50-plus games to get going as a hitter. So are you on that side or the side of, hey, Jeff Albert can't get it done? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle and Randy with you on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, yesterday, so much baseball to watch, and there was one comment that really stuck with you. That's right, Randy. I was very locked into Twins Astros because I am hate what I hate watching the Houston Astros. Proud of you. I want them to lose very badly, <laughs> and um, so I'm definitely cheering for the Twins. But I was watching that game, and there was a couple interesting things that got brought up during the broadcast. So they're obviously talking about the cheating scandal, and they put up a graphic about the Houston Astros and their batting average between 2017 and 2020, just really illustrating how far a lot of these star players and the Astros have fallen since that point, the disparity that's happened since since they were cheating. And one of the things that was brought up, Eduardo Perez and Tim Kirkshen were talking about this, is about how Dusty Baker said to them, hey, there's a lot of factors at play here in a shortened season. One of them essentially being that it takes about 50 games for some guys to find their swing. That's kind of at the point in the season where you're looking at an offense and saying, okay, this is what it's going to develop into. And so it got me thinking about the Cardinals. Obviously, they've had some offensive struggles and in a truncated season like this, I don't wonder if the evaluation process for the offense is going to be something that the Cardinals look at and say, well, we didn't really get a chance to watch these guys block into what they were going to do. If I just don't wonder if the shortened season isn't going to be something that's used as a justification to not make a move or to stick with a Jeff Albert approach. I can totally see it being used as a justification that we didn't have enough time. And John Mozeliak has already said, we never had our team this year, and maybe that's part of the process. And maybe that's one of the reasons that they will give Jeff Albert a new contract. Not defending Jeff Albert here, but when I watch Cardinal hitters, I don't think Matt Carpenter's bouncing back. He's had multiple hit, uh, hitting coaches, and he's been bad now for the better part of three years. I don't know what it's going to take to make a guy like Tyler O'Neill not strike out anymore. I don't know what it's going to take to make Harrison Bader a really good hitter. Maybe Paul DeYoung can be a little bit better. I think Wonger is what he is. I think Goldschmidt is what he is. Yadi's not changing. Yadi's uh, a coach is not going to help Yadi or Molina. So Fowler, it, Dexter Fowler's hitting coach is Barry Bonds. So when you look at the players on this team, I don't think it matters who the hitting coach is, really. 
I think they are what they are. Maybe they could get a little bit better. Maybe Carlson could be highly affected. Maybe a guy like Lane Thomas could be highly affected by a new hitting coach. But I'm not seeing the guys there where I say, okay, a new hitting coach could really mold that guy into an impact hitter. I wonder where the disconnect is because you're seeing, as you mentioned last segment, other guys who were with the Cardinals mm-hmm. leave and go to other teams and you're seeing them have offensive success. So I wonder, is it the hitting approach? Is it the talent? Is it the evaluation of the talent? There's got to be something that the Cardinals look at this offseason and say, where's the disconnect and how do we fix this? Cardinals are getting long looks at these guys before they trade them at the minor league level. And I believe you're 100% right when you touch on evaluation of hitters. There are things that we don't see about hitters from a layman's perspective that a major league staff or a minor league staff should see. We never saw Randy Rosarena at, at any extended level. We never saw Luke Voigt for any extended period of time. We did see Randall Gritchick and he matured into a pretty good player. He was only 23 when the Cardinals traded him. But the evaluation process is sorely lacking in, in my opinion, with the Cardinals. When the guys that you're evaluating for 2020, whether you have a pandemic and a shutdown or not, when the guys that you're evaluating are Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas rather than Randy Arena and Randall Gritchick, that's a problem in evaluation. It is, and and it's easy to look at the hitting coach. A lot of people like to point fingers at John Mabry. It's easy to point the finger at Jeff Albert and and blame them for approach and blame them for lack of production. But I do think that that does have to go hand in hand in some way because if you're a coach in any way, shape, or form, while your main job is not evaluation, you can look at a hitter or look at someone that you're coaching or managing and you can see what their potential is or you should be able to see what their potential is. And I- I don't know. I, I don't know if uh, enough about the inner workings of the Cardinals to know why they make deals. But it sure looks to me like when you trade a Randy Arozarena right after he turns out that video, it's a personal issue. That you, when you trade Tommy Pham months after he goes off in an SI article and uses a bunch of expletives and is highly outspoken, like it might be personal. And it seems to me, and I have no evidence of this whatsoever. This is just from my observation. That sometimes guys are traded because they're a little bit too out, outspoken for this organization's liking. Well, that's a not a great business model, right? No, it should be about do, production. Do you see it that way? I, you know, could you buy that if it if it if somebody said, "Yeah, that's why we did it." W- would that surprise you? It would not surprise me. But at the time when you moved on from a guy like Tommy Pham, I understood what their public reasoning was. A guy who had dealt with injuries, a guy who had vision problems. When you talked about Randy Rosarena, yes, it was after the video, but the outfield was crowded. You needed to make some room on the runway. So I understood the thought process. Now, was it the right, were they the right guys to deal? That's a different conversation. But I would I would be a little surprised if it was a personal issue just because so publicly they went out of their way to say, oh, that's just Tommy Pham being Tommy Pham. We like that fire. That's part of the reason we like him. You had Mike Show coming out saying, Randy is a young man and we dealt with it internally, but young, young people make mistakes. I'm paraphrasing. So, The Cardinals have not been afraid at times to say things about players that bothered them. You had John Mozeliak very publicly talking about Marcelo Zuna and the fact Mm -hmm. that he would not go out there and get a surgery that they had encouraged him. I think the phrase he used was, you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink. They talked about Carlos Martinez not following the protocol Mm -hmm. and the things that they had set up for him in the the, the offseason. So I guess it would surprise me a little bit just because they've taken that 
approach with other players. So if that was the case, I don't know why they would hide it from people. We're going to ask MLB Network's Mark DeRosa about that and more when he joins us. He's got a busy morning. He's here, and he's also on MLB Central at 9 o'clock. Dero next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Former Cardinal Mark DeRosa of MLB Network has a busy day. Every day is busy for D-Row, but he's going to be on MLB Central at 9 o'clock throughout the postseason. MLB Network will exclusively have two NLDS games next week, too. And you can always watch MLB Central weekday mornings at 9. Mark DeRosa with Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. D-Row, always good to talk to you here in St. Louis. How you doing? Oh, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. What a day. This is, and I remember when the Cardinals got back to the playoffs in 96. They hadn't been to the playoffs since 87. And I, re- I just remember the, the tingling feeling. And, and I always savor it. And we should here in St. Louis, shouldn't we? Because there's nothing like this time of year. I mean, absolutely nothing. It's Christmas come early for me today. Eight games. I mean, get the sweatpants, get the chips and queso, take the day off of work. And the Zoom calls and lock, I mean, totally lock in wall to wall. So, yeah, and what, I mean, it wouldn't be a postseason without the Cardinals in it, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Mark. The Cardinals seem to be a fixture in the postseason. And they're facing a Padres team who hasn't been in this position since 2006. And different players at different times. And obviously the Padres have some guys on that roster with some postseason pedigree. But do you think the organizational success and, and just the fact that it's a comfortable position for the Cardinals to be in, to be in the postseason, can be a factor in this series? Oh, no doubt. I really do. I, I, I felt that when I was there. I know we got bounced in three games in 09 by the Dodgers. But I, I, you go in with confidence because that Cardinals is across your chest. You're almost waiting for the other team to make the mistake because you know you're built on being fundamentally sound, pitching, all that goes into it. I'll say this, though. I think that today's generation kind of um, – when I look at the San Diego Padres, I think it's it doesn't matter the respect factor for like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cardinals. I don't think this younger generation really cares too much about that. I think the Fernando Tatises of the world are going to do everything in their power to kind of slap the Cardinals in the face, so to speak. But I feel like this is a great matchup for St. Louis because San Diego kind of comes in with some question marks in the starting rotation, and it, it's not this lockdown the Nelson Lamette and um, Mike Clevenger and scratching the, to get one or two. I think St. Louis can score some runs in this series. Uh, Dero, the Cardinals obviously have not hit this year. And we thought there was an yeah. interesting comment yesterday from Dusty Baker. He said, sometimes it takes a, a guy 50 games to really get his swing. Do you see the ability, though, uh, of this Cardinal offense to explode physically there? I think they get. You know what? I don't know if explodes the right word. I think pass the baton's the right word. I think quality at bats up and down the lineup. I think less swing and miss. Uh, I mean, to expect them to explode is is a tough one just because they haven't done it all year. And I I think Mike Schilt's still searching for a lineup that makes sense. And you've seen Dylan Carlson come back and kind of be thrust into that four hole. He hasn't really there, but a handful throughout the course of the year. So. I think it's more of a mindset of what I watched the Yankees do to Shane Bieber last night, minus the home run. It's just quality at bat after quality at bat. You know what Chris Paddock's about. You know he's a heater change-up guy. He's not going to trick you out there. 
I feel like if you eliminate one side of the field as an as a hitter and just really grind this guy down, I feel like St. Louis can you know put two or three on the board and and kind of let their man Mr. Kim go to work. Mark, who are you looking at in this series that could be a potential X factor either for the Cardinals or the Padres? You know, it's a good question. I, I hate to say that stars are potential X factors, but if St. Louis can steal one of these first two games, and I think they can do just that, I mean, it's kind of like, hey, Jack Flaherty, here's the ball with our season on the line. And I know he's had kind of an up-and-down truncated season, so to speak, but I've also seen a guy who turned into, like, one of the best pitchers in the world last year for the entire second half. So I think if I was Mike Schilt, I would sleep pretty peacefully with a 1-1 split knowing I'm handing the ball to Jack in Game 3. Mark DeRosa, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN. As you mentioned, eight games today. All 16 teams are playing. For you, what's the most compelling series of the eight? Uh, Honestly, that's a tough question for me because I I, I find – I find value in all of them. I really do. I mean, I love the way Tampa went about it last night. I mean, Blake Snell had no idea he was coming out of that game, and it was bing, bang, boom, relievers you never heard of. I still don't know offensively how they figure this thing out with some of the guys in their lineup. The one that kind of stands out for me today, just because I live there and make my home there, is Atlanta's got a tough draw. That's the same one for me. Yeah, for being so great all year, you know, usually in March Madness, the two seed gets the 15 seed, and you can pretty much throttle them and move to the second round. I don't think that's the case here. Um, Braves come in like, like I said, a, you know, very similar to the San Diego Padres, kind of missing their starting rotation for the most part. So it's going to be bullpen related. And Cincinnati's just one of those dangerous teams that can. And, and you notice, I saw Yachty's quote this morning when I woke up. All you have to do is get in. We've proven we can get hot and win the whole thing. And I do believe that. It's not the best team that wins the World Series. It's the team that gets hot at the right time and plays great baseball. And I I feel like Cincinnati's one of those scary teams that could uh, make it real tough on Atlanta. Well, Mark, the best team has been the Dodgers, especially in the National League. But yeah. do you think you, if you think that it's not always the best team that gets it done, do you think that this is the season that the best team in the Dodgers does get it done? I picked them to win it. Don't go off my predictions because that's like the worst thing I do. <laughs> I think they got the easiest road to the World Series. I feel like that, you know, when you look at it, Milwaukee – I don't, I don't know if Milwaukee's going to give them much of a challenge. I know Craig Council's going to do, you know, some pretty creative stuff and, 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 and try and, you know, dazzle you with a bunch of different bullpen arms and, and different matchups. I, I just think if you put eyeballs on the Dodgers for the 60-game for the season, there's just really nowhere that Dave Roberts can go. That I mean, he had, his, he had Cody Bellinger batting seventh. At, at, I mean, that was the NL MVP, so... I don't, I don't see how they don't kind of walk their way to the World Series again. I know you can make arguments for everybody, but I really do feel like they're the kind of standalone. And then in the American League, I feel like it's kind of wide open. 
Yeah, you mentioned the Yankees, and against that pitching staff of Cleveland, you expect that, especially with the way Bieber had thrown all regular season, that, okay, we're going to have a game here. And that was just such classic yeah. Yankee last night. You're, the, the way that you uh, couched it to us with their at-bats, man, that just looked like classic Yankees from 1996 on. I, I feel like they came in with a great game plan. I, I, I really do. I feel like, you know, you get those guys in the lineup swinging a bat and they're healthy. They're, I mean, obviously one of the most talented teams in baseball. I, personally, watching that game, I felt bad for Shane Bieber because he's been so good all year. He didn't have his stuff. I don't know if he was overamped. If it was his first postseason start, maybe he was trying to do too much. But his fastball, for me, played very flat with comparison to Garrett Cole and some of the other guys we saw throw throughout the day, the Lucas Giolitos, the Blake Snells, I felt like Shane just didn't have his good stuff and couldn't get his curveball in the strike zone, so they were just kind of spitting on that and making him become a one-pitch pitcher, and there's just too much talent in that lineup. Credit to credit to just having a game, a great game plan and kind of, kind of a credit to the fact that even though Shane Bieber didn't have his big big game stuff, I felt like the Yankees like really put it on him, like really sent a message. So I I was not surprised. I just wish Shane would have kind of put a better foot forward for him personally. Mark, a team that we always pay attention to here in St. Louis is the Chicago Cubs, obviously. And it's yeah. been a difficult season for any manager, but especially a first season manager like David Ross. So how would you evaluate what he did with the Cubs this year? I thought Rossi was great. I did a couple, I moonlighted for a couple times on the marquee network, kind of did some pre and post for them. And I just think sometimes when you cover a team fully, like I get to bounce around, you kind of look for the negative. <laughs> and I felt like when I got on the set there and did it, that's what I was kind of the, the, the feeling I was getting. And me not watching them every single day, I always revert back to the fact that, hey, they broke a 108 year curse, something. No team I was on when I played there was able to do. So first, I got to give them a pass if they're struggling a little bit. And then you dive into the numbers, and David Ross was really able to win that division with no Chris Bryant, Javi Baez hitting $1.90, Anthony Rizzo not doing much. I mean, it was basically Ian Happ in the beginning, Jay Hay, and you Darvish. So, I, I mean, my hat's off to him for dealing. I know David well. We're good friends. We're so excited to manage the Cubs, and then you're dealing with the COVID and all the protocols, and then you're trying to keep everyone invested. And, and you know, he's a people person. That's that's his best trait, and that's probably hard to get across on Zoom calls on a daily basis. But they're, they're going to be that's – a, that's a trap series for me as well because Miami pitches so well, and the Cubs have struggled struggled to swing the bats. I just don't know how – I kind of lean towards the Cubs winning that series just because I don't know how uh, Miami's going to put offense together against Darvish and Hendricks and kind of the starting rotation of Chicago. Mark DeRosa, before we let you go, we watch you guys. We obviously can't listen because we're doing morning radio, but we've got MLB Network up here, and we love how much fun you guys are having every single morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, we try. I, I, every time I walk out of the building, my producer always says balance. 
because I try and get a little too goofy at times. <laughs> but I try, I try and take you inside the clubhouse of kind of how I was in the clubhouse and how much respect I have for the guys who go out there and, and play this game. It's not easy. Well, hey, we appreciate your time and enjoy Christmas early. Have a great time today. And, yeah. Uh, yeah just, uh, don't overdo it on the queso, though, and ships. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to overdo it. <laughs> All right, D-Row. Take care. Thank you. See you later. See you later. Mark DeRosa, former Cardinal, joining us on 101 ESPN. Now you know we've got to have chips and queso when we queue up the game today. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Think about this. That 09 Cardinal team that got Holiday, who's done radio, but in the mid middle of the season, they get DeRosa and John Smoltz. Yeah, imagine what that clubhouse sounded like. Oh, man. And you talk about a first-year radio station. Oh, let's get DeRosa. Oh, let's get Smoltz. It was awesome because those guys couldn't wait to do media, and now they're in media doing it. They it was so much fun with DeMarco and Rammer and we would get one of those guys and we always had great content because you knew those guys were going into the media and they wanted to do it. They, they were towards the end of their careers and they were preparing to do it. An athlete that likes to do media is rare. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And those guys were, were great. Well, there's a story about John Smoltz uh, pitching in the world series or maybe it's the playoffs and getting knocked around in the seventh inning and admitting to the media that he lost focus because he was thinking about what he was going to say to the media guys. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that something? That is. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I, I blew it because I was thinking about what I was going to say to you guys. <laughs> you know, I like that approach to blame the media. <laughs> yeah, somehow. Let's blame the media. Somehow let's blame the media. <laughs> <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Next up, what's the Cardinals' biggest regret personnel-wise over the last five years. Is it Fernando Tatis Jr.? That's next. There are a few on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. All right, five years ago, July, the White Sox signed Fernando Tatis Jr. to a contract. They gave him a $700,000 bonus to join them. Subsequently traded Tatis Jr. to San Diego in the James Shields trade. The Cardinals were in on Fernando Tatis Jr. They, according to Fernando Tatis Sr., Cardinal evaluators watched Tatis Jr. 18 different times in workouts and didn't sign him. Did offer him $500,000, but he was signed for $700,000 by the White Sox. You can make a strong argument, Michelle, that as the Cardinals look back, and I'm not looking, I'm going to look at this segment as we have 2020 hindsight, the Cardinals' biggest regret over the last five years. Let me give you some samples here, okay? Okay, I'm ready. You didn't sign Tatis. You didn't spend the extra money to sign Luis Robert, who's now with the White Sox mm-hmm. and looks like he's got a great future. You didn't sign Max Scherzer before the 2015 season. You traded Randall Grichik to the Blue Jays essentially for nothing. Uh, you let Marcelo Zuna walk this year after trading four prospects for him just two years earlier. You traded Luke Voigt to the Yankees. Granted, you got Giovanni Gallegos, 
but Voight's become Luke Voigt with mm-hmm. the Yankees. You traded Randy Rosarena. Now, this is based on what we know right now. We don't know if Matthew Libertor is going to be great. We do know Rosarena hit third for the best team in the American League in the playoffs yesterday. Uh, you also have the Matt Carpenter extension. If you have any other regrets that the Cardinals should have over the last five years, feel free to text us 65780. All right. So your biggest regret now, knowing what you know now over the last five years. Even though you just named off some big misses, uh-huh. some pretty big misses, I still am always going to look back and always defer to Max Scherzer as being the biggest miss for the Cardinals. He is a proven winner. He's a tone setter. He's a guy who is from St. Louis who wanted to come here, who wanted to take a bit of a discount. I'm sure it wouldn't have been that that big, but I think there was some wiggle room there. And in a sport where pitching matters and you could have had one of the gems and Major League Baseball and a guy who wanted to be here and who would have been a perfect Cardinal, I'm always going to look at Max Scherzer as a huge miss for the Cardinals. Bill DeWitt III said last year that that was the Cardinals' biggest whiff. Now, <laughs> here's the the question that you have to ask about Max Scherzer. Uh, when the Cardinals, when he signed and the Cardinals didn't engage him after the 2014 season, Two things were occurring. Number one, Oscar Tavares died, and they were pursuing a hitter, and they traded for Jason Hayward. And the other thing was they uh, had just moved into a new contract with Adam Wainwright. So I I think your choice was going to be, and you would have had to make the choice ahead of time, do we want to pursue and get Scherzer, or do we want Adam Wainwright on our team? That's a tough decision. But don't you think that they could have allocated other resources and moved some pieces of the puzzle around to not have to make that decision? They absolutely could have. And the the move for them would have been to not go get Jason Hayward and just try to get a prospect to play right field for him after the death of Tavares. And by the way, they'd gotten rid of Alan Craig. I guess you were counting on Matt Carpenter to be your lineup centerpiece at that point. But yeah, you would not have been able, if you would have spent the $210 million, $30 million a year on Scherzer, you would have, and this is in real time now, we're mm-hmm. going back to the offseason after 2014, You, because they work within a budget, they wouldn't have been able to get their hitter. Another one for me, Randy, and this is past this five-year window we're kind of talking about, but in hindsight, it's always 2020, and he did some great things here, and I think has is developing into a better manager, but I will still never understand the decision to have Mike Matheny be the guy to succeed Tony La Russa in that moment. Hire a guy who mm-hmm. has never done it before for a World Series champion and a crown jewel franchise. I always thought it was really unfair to put somebody in a position who didn't have that experience and was going to have to learn in real time with a team like the St. Louis Cardinals. And as that was unfolding, Terry Francona was my guy. And he wanted the job. And he actually, when he met with the Cardinals in Cincinnati, brought them his managerial manifesto. Matheny had the Matheny manifesto. Francona had one that he handed to them. And by the way, I don't think they gave it back to him. Uh, But he really wanted the job. And at that point, he was coming off of what happened in Boston and the big Boston Globe article about how he was having issues with opioids Mm -hmm. and I don't even know if he ever went into rehab, but that that apparently was a concern of the Cardinals. But looking back, that would have been the move. I do think that they wanted somebody more pliable, a first-time manager, because they had just, Mosaic had just dealt with the ultra 
rigid Tony LaRusso who was not pliable, was not going to bend. He, Tony was going to be Tony. And I think Mo wanted to run his own show. And Francona wasn't going to be one of those guys. He was a veteran manager that wanted to do things his way. I wonder if, if you ever had that conversation with them now, looking back, if they would admit that that probably wasn't the best call. I don't know if they would admit that, even though it it wasn't the best call hiring the theme. The other thing about hiring Mike, he cost a lot less. Yeah, that's Tony a good had point. been a five or six million dollar a year manager, and I don't think they wanted to go at that time back to the five or six million dollar a year manager. Uh, it, one that we uh, talked about a little bit from the three one four, the Matt Carpenter extension can't run, can't field, etc. and really re-signed him on the basis of two really good months in 2018. Do you think that was more of an emotional play? Yeah, I kind of think it was. I think he's one of their guys. They love him. And they thought that because he had bounced back, and actually, from a stat cast perspective, he had had a pretty good season. Yeah. And they were looking at that rather than the production, I think. And I think it hurt him. I think it came back to bite him. Uh, Could have signed Harper, though his prime... Uh, through his prime for uh, and then not gotten Goldie. Yeah, I was somebody who really wanted them to go out and potentially make that move with Bryce Harper because at that time there was not a lot to be inspired by. I thought the Cardinals could have really used a superstar player. I thought Bryce Harper would have been great at the time, but now 2020 being hindsight, I'm glad that they're not tied <laughs> up with that, that contract yeah, for him. Yeah. From the 618, Oscar Mercado was given away for nothing too. He's uh, not at the level of those other ones, but he was free. And yeah, I... I thought that was a curious trade the day they made it and he did have a good 2019 played well but now he's kind of a non-factor for the Indians but he was a guy that had some skills with a Z that they gave away and virtually got nothing for what about Sandy Alcantara he's starting game one for the, the Marlins today thing was they knew what they were giving up in Alcantara and I don't think they really knew what they were getting in Ozuna. I don't think they realized that they wouldn't like him. Remember, he shows up with a bad shoulder in his Mm -hmm. first spring training. uh, Hadn't rehabbed the way they wanted to. Shows up at his second spring training with the Cardinals at 250 pounds. Shows up late a lot. Even though he was productive, that, again, is just not the Cardinal way. They want everybody to be on the same page. They want everybody to fall in line and show up and do everything that they ask. And Ozuna did not. But on that day, they made that trade. He had 37 homers and 124 RBIs. And I think had like a 930 OPS in 2017. And I, I loved that trade. And I said, it really doesn't matter what Alcantara becomes. And it was Alcantara, Gallon, uh, another pitcher that the Miami actually used this year. And Magnuria Sierra. And really, Alcantara and Gallon have turned into pretty good pitchers. But if you had, if you knew that you had the Marcelo Zuna that played last year or still had him this year, you say, that's a pretty good trade. I don't mind giving up Alcantara for that. Earlier, you mentioned Tommy Pham, Randy Rosebrand, and now we're throwing Marcelo Zuna in the mix as guys who might have done something to rankle the Cardinals Mm -hmm. on on a personal level and didn't necessarily fit the Cardinal way. Then I always look back to Carlos Martinez and say, how how is that something that they've still allowed? Because he's a guy who they have publicly said didn't follow their protocols. He's a guy that they've had issues with, but yet he's still here. I think the issue with him... I think he might be an untradeable asset because of all the legal issues mm-hmm. and all the accusations. 
there's stuff beyond baseball with Carlos that I think makes him difficult to trade. So I think they're probably trying to justify the contract now. They don't want to cut him at $10 million a year. I would guess that they probably tried to trade him. People say, I don't want to touch that. So if, if you are having him here, you're just going to write it out while you can type deal? Right, right. Yeah. And I do, we'll see in five more years, if somebody gives Ozuna a long-term contract, and he's not motivated by being in the last year of a deal, it'll be interesting to see how he does react. And that's something that you just can't read. But who would we talk to? I know, was it Holiday? I think when the Cardinals signed him, they talked about how hard he worked in the offseason and they knew exactly what they were going to get out of him. And they weren't worried about a 34 or 35-year-old Matt Holiday because of the way he treated his body. Mm-hmm. I th- believe they were concerned about Ozuna signing him to that extension because of the way he treats his body. So they're worried about a 33, 34, 35-year-old Ozuna in the midst of a long-term contract. That This is a long and kind of upsetting list that we just ran through yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> of what-if moves I that the Cardinals if, could have done. I, w- I wonder if they regret it as much as we as fans do, or if they're just looking forward. Well, they're in the playoffs right now. That's true. but They were the NLCS last year. I think that they they can justify it to themselves if they want to. They can rest they, easy at night. They can. But for the people that want the Cardinals, and you're one of those people that want the Cardinals not just to be in the playoffs, but to dominate and be a World Series contender. Wouldn't you like to have Marcelo Zuna DHing and Randy Arozarena playing in uh, left field and Randall Gritchick playing in center field and Max Scherzer starting one of the games for you? Fernando Tatis Jr. Yep, will great playing, playing. with the birds on the bat. Yeah. DeYoung would play third, I guess, or he'd be on the bench as a utility guy and Tatis would be your shortstop. Yeah, there's a lot of things that the Cardinals have done that prevented them from being that dominant franchise that people want to see. It's a blessing and a curse to be a Cardinal fan because while you do have a lot of success, you expect the ultimate success. There's a pressure and a standard that comes with wearing that uniform that doesn't exist a lot of places. And getting to the NLCS is not enough. Winning a world championship is the expectation every year. And if you're running through a list like this and you can point out a lot of moves that were made that prohibited you from getting there or could have benefited you this year, it's a hard pill to swallow for people in St. Louis because they expect a winner. Yeah. And we got an interesting question via the text line, and I want to answer this. And the question is this, from the 314. Randy, was the Matheny deal the start of this team shifting their philosophy to buying low on talent and hoping they achieve their upside? No. Close, though. It was Tony Larusa leaving because Tony was so demanding. Mm-hmm. So when Tony goes to the media and says, I want to get Matt Holiday, they have to get Matt Holiday. When Tony says, I need a shortstop, they go out and trade for Raphael for Cal. When Tony says, uh, hey, I, I need a hitter here. I, I, I need one more hitter. They go out and trade for a Jim Edmonds or they go out and sign a Lance Berkman. Tony's demanding nature was different than Matheny's nature. So I think Tony's departure was the start of that change in philosophy rather than Matheny's hiring. Tony La Russa was a guy that in the moment drove a lot of people crazy. You know, people always used to love to question Tony, but it seems like every year that that we get further and further away from the time that he was with the Cardinals, the more of an appreciation we have for yeah. what he did here and no the doubt. culture that he established. And you're exactly right. Culture is the word. And it was organization-wide, and they deferred to him. Mm-hmm. Tony could have managed, and Bill DeWitt said, Tony can manage here as long as he wants to manage. 
And so they deferred to him. And as it turned out, that was really good for us. (laughs) Yeah, it was. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, how much will experience benefit the Cardinals in this three-game series? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle, we heard earlier from Mike Schilt about the advantages that the Cardinal experience presents having played in the playoffs and beating Atlanta last year and then winning uh, that series before losing in the NLCS to Washington. But I have to believe that there is some advantage in the Cardinals having been there and the Padres having not. Well, we just talked to, to Mark DeRosa, Randy, at 745, who mentioned, you know, it's different when you head into a postseason series and you're wearing that Cardinal uniform, that it's ingrained in you that you're supposed to be there, that you know that you're waiting for the other team to make a mistake because the Cardinals are supposed to be in the postseason. And he said there's no doubt that that's a factor when you head into a series like this where you have a team like the Cardinals who have been there and a team like the Padres who have been in the postseason since 2006. And I would also think, in addition to the Cardinals' experience, just to the leadership of Wainwright and Molina. I remember mm-hmm. BT telling us uh, before the 2006 playoffs started, especially because the Cardinals had lost the World Series in 04, and then in 05, they lose that NLCS to the Astros. So before 06, Roland and Edmonds and Carpenter and Albert are going around the clubhouse, especially to the young guys, saying, hey, slow this down, savor this, take it in, because it goes so fast. And just from the way the game is played, play it like a regular season because it's going to happen in a hurry. And they talked about what a difference it made having the veterans go around the clubhouse and relate that to them. And so many guys on this team have postseason experience from from last year. But I wonder, Randy, about the lack of fans and how that might positively impact a team like the Padres. Because when you go into a packed Bush Stadium, potentially, and you're a team who hasn't been there, that's a different experience. There's an energy there that can be intimidating for a team like the Padres, a young team who has not been there. And I wonder if this is just going to be, hey, it's another game. It's it's in a ballpark that we're familiar with. It's just another team because of these weird circumstances. We haven't seen a lot of the Padres this year. And I'm sure they won a lot because of their talent. But one of the things that you have to do, especially at this time of year, there's so much energy in the stands. And you have to manufacture your own energy. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I would have to believe that Mike Shilton and the Cardinals have looked at, right? And said, okay, we know what it takes to succeed at this level because we did beat Atlanta last year. I don't think that the Padres have any idea. And heck, playing in San Diego and taking nothing away from their fans who show up, but they just haven't had that sort of energy to deal with before. So if the Cardinals can find a way to manufacture energy, then that is definitely going to make a difference. Don't you think they've already had to find a way to manufacture energy coming off of a quarantine and a COVID outbreak? I remember we had those conversations and we felt defeated by it. We weren't locked in the Fister Hotel throwing (laughs) at a mattress. They had to manufacture energy and the will to get through this season. So this is just another day for them manufacturing this energy. Now, today, your starting pitcher has not obviously pitched in the MLB postseason, but KK has pitched in the KBO postseason. And Mike Schilt was asked if that's a benefit. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, one of the f- many things I got from the feedback from him last offseason, which was all very positive and, and accurate for people I trust in the game, people that played with him, people that had observed him, including our internal reports, were that, you know, a really talented guy, but he really stepped up into the competition and, and has been a really good performer in postseason play. He seems unflappable. Mm-hmm. KK does to me. I don't know, again, and we, uh, you look at pitchers that have come from that league, and there's Sumwano. Their expression never changes. They seem to be flatliners. <laughs> and that seems to me to be a personality trait that would play well in dealing with adversity. You would think so, to have that stony demeanor and not be rankled by the pressure that could come with this. Yeah, it seems like it's just going to be another another game for him, which is a great attitude to take in a game one of a, of a postseason series. Although... I can tell you this, Byung Young Kim, when he was pitching for the Diamondbacks in 2001 and allowing those home runs to Tino Martinez and Jeter, he looked unflappable, but he was still allowing those home runs late in games to Martinez and Jeter. So you can, you can look unflappable, but still be allowing home runs. That's my point. Randy, why do you have to put that in the universe? I'm just throwing come that on, out there. Come on. Hey, KK is unflappable. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But you can you can be unflappable and still get hammered. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah, we don't need to see you throwing your glove and having a uh, a meltdown on the mound for, no. it, for it to happen. The fight is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 834. It's time for the fight. Let's welcome in our challenger today. Seth is going to take on Randy. Randy, good morning, Seth. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Seth, are you a baseball fan? Huge baseball fan. I'm actually a high school varsity baseball coach. Oh, love that. Well, Seth, what are your plans today for the Cardinals-Padres game? Uh, to be sitting by and praying that we can put some runs on the board. <laughs> you and me both, Seth. And you're in luck today because we have an all-baseball fight in honor of the Cardinals postseason. So I like your chances versus Randy. Mm-hmm. Me too. All right, Seth. Question number one for you. Brad Miller hit seven home runs this year to tie for the team lead. What? Which of his Cardinals teammates did he tie? Was it Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, or Paul DeYoung? Uh, Paul Goldschmidt. Seth Giovanni Gallegos and Andrew Miller tied for the team lead with four saves in 2020. Who holds the Cardinals team record with 48 saves in a single season? Is it Trevor Rosenthal, Jason Isringhausen, or Lee Smith? (sighs) Trevor Rosenthal. Seth, who was the Padres manager back in 2006 when the Cardinals faced off against them in the NLDS? Was it Bruce Bochy, Bud Black, or Jim Riggleman? Uh, I think it's Bud Black. And last question, Seth. What year was Ozzie Smith's final season with the San Diego Padres? Was it 1979, 1980, or 1981? Um, 
Let's go 1970, 1979 was an option, right? Yeah, Correct. 79, 80, or 81. <laughs> okay. okay, yeah, 79. Let's go 79. Okay, checking score here. Seth, since you're a baseball guy, who's your pick to click for the Cardinals today? Uh, I think it's got to be I think it's got to be Kim. I think he's been uh, exceptionally solid, and I think the Padres not having seen him at all uh, works in their benefit. So I think he goes you know seven strong, and the bullpen shuts it down. Let's hope you're right. Let's hope you're right. Randy, say good morning to Seth, who just said Kim was his pick to click today for the Cardinals. I like that pick to click. Hi, Seth. How are you? Doing great. How are you, Randy? Great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. All right, Randy. All baseball today. Okay, in honor I can of the Cardinals that. postseason. Okay. Question number one: Brad Miller hit seven home runs this year to tie for the team league. Which of his Cardinals teammates did he tie? Seven home runs. Did Goldie get to seven? I don't think so. I think Goldie only had six. Oh no, uh, he did hit one in the last weekend. I think Goldie did get one, so I'll go with seven for a Goldie. Randy Giovanni Gallegos and Andrew Miller tied for the team lead with four saves in 2020. Who holds the Cardinals team record with 48 saves in a single season? Guy that they'll mingle with today, Trevor Rosenthal. <laughs> Randy, who was the Padres manager back in 2006 when the Cardinals faced off against San Diego in the NLDS? That would have been a uh, with hair, skinny Bruce Bochy. <laughs> <sighs> And Randy, <laughs> what, what year was Ozzie Smith's final season with the San Diego Padres? The Cardinals traded for Ozzie before 82, and he won the World Series. So his last season with San Diego would have been 1981. We have got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Good job. Good effort out of you, Seth. But Randy brought it today. He beat you three to one. Let's run through our answers here. Brad Miller hit seven home runs. He tied for the team lead with... Tyler O'Neill. Oh, there you go, Tyler. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill, um, our, our friendly Canadian. Giovanni Gallegos and Andrew Miller tied for the team lead with four saves in 2020. But Trevor Rosenthal holds the, holds the Cardinals team lead record with 48 saves in a single season. It was Bruce Bochy who was the Padres manager back in 2006 when the Cardinals faced off against them in the NLDS. And Ozzie Smith's final season with the San Diego Padres was 1981. He was traded to the Cardinals on December 10th, 1981. Seth, thanks so much for playing and enjoy the game today. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Have an awesome day. Thanks, Seth. Take care. Seth with us on 101 ESPN, and that is The Fight. And by the way, we do have baseball tonight here on 101 ESPN. ESPN, just a little inside radio, ESPN's not carrying the Cardinal game, so that's why we aren't carrying the Cardinal mm-hmm. game. ESPN TV is. ESPN 2 has the Cardinal game uh tonight or this afternoon so you'll be able to watch that at four but here's what we have tonight and today is wednesday isn't it yeah we've got lakers heat game one randy randy pregame starting at 7 30 so we're looking forward to that we also have this week in hockey coming up with alex and joey that's at six o'clock and then the pregame for nba finals game one coming up at 7 30 meanwhile michelle and i are uh, <laughs> preparing for a contest 
a challenge, Randy. It's, it's a challenge. I, I feel challenged. I'm challenged already, and we haven't even started. It's not even day one, and I'm already stressed out. So tell folks what we're doing. So if you would like to participate with us in this challenge, we would love to have you because I believe there's strength in numbers, and we can all motivate and support one another. But Randy and I, and I believe Scott is going to yep. do this as well, are going to attempt the 75 Hard Challenge. Andy Frisella of Supplement Superstores and First Form St. Louis guy created this, and we had seen so many people in, in St. Louis and nationally, really around the world that have done this. And we were interested. It piqued our interest, if you will. So we looked into it and we thought, hmm, let's see how far we can go with this challenge. So here's what it is. For 75 days, you have to do two 45-minute workouts a day and one has to be outside. Okay. You have to follow a diet, whatever diet you choose, no cheat meals, no alcohol. You have to drink a gallon of water every day. You have to take a progress picture and you have to read 10 pages of nonfiction every day. Did I miss anything? I think that's it. No, you didn't miss anything. And honestly, if I did, we're not doing it because that's already way too much stuff. Yep. And Andy Frisella said this is a test of your mental will, mm-hmm. your ability to do this every day. A discipline. Now, yeah. Now, we're going to deviate because in the midst of our 75 hard Thanksgiving falls. Mm, so can't, we, You can't deviate. I listened to the podcast yesterday. He says there's no deviation well, or else you're not doing it. My 75 hard is going to be different than his 75 hard, and I'm not going to deviate. I'm just going to do it my way. <laughs> and what's your way? That I'm going to have Thanksgiving, which I think actually provides the opportunity to show people more mental discipline because you're going to have that one day where you have that piece of French silk pie right in the middle of this, but you're not going to have any more before or after. Is that your diet for one piece of pie in 75 days? Yes. Okay. I I listened to the podcast yesterday because I thought maybe there's some wiggle room in here. Maybe he would be like, you know, everybody needs a break. Don't be too hard on yourself. No, he's unrelenting in the fact that you have to do every single thing on your list every day. And if you miss one thing, if he said if you even miss one ounce of water in your gallon of water every day that you're supposed to drink that you have to start over, even if you're on day 74. Really? Yes. Wow. It's it's a test of your mental toughness yeah. and of your discipline. And he says that this is going to have ripple effects in every other aspect of your life. That's a good thing. But I'm not skipping Thanksgiving. See, I'm not a huge Thanksgiving person. I think the Thanksgiving menu is highly overrated. I'm more of a Christmas menu girl. So this doesn't really impact me the way it's going to impact you. Okay. Well, I can still actually, aside from the pie... I'm going to work within the confines of my diet because I'm going to have turkey and I'm going to have green beans. Sweet potatoes. Yeah. So it's it's not really going to be ridiculous cheating on my part. The only thing that I really, really love on the Thanksgiving menu is the one thing I can't have, which is the stuffing. Yeah. We do we do it with a, a spicy Italian sausage. My grandma's recipe. Oh, my God. It's amazing. And now I'm stressed out that I can't have it. So. I'm not, I'm, we're going to see who can last the longest and I'm already telling you, I will be the first to dip out. No, no wine, Randy, working out outside oh, I guarantee. in November, November, forget it. November 3rd, you are drinking. <laughs> you bet I am. <laughs> you bet I am. So you can go ahead, if you're making wagers at home, put your money on Randy because I'm going to be out first. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. This is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up. You had a positive COVID-19 test for the Tennessee Titans, but is the NFL going to miss a game that's coming your way on 101 ESPN? 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 101 ESPN breaking news alert. Well, Michelle, we were going to talk about the NFL playing a game. And as it turns out, during the course of the break, we learned that the Tennessee Titans have had still another positive test for the coronavirus. Yeah, Tom Pelissero has this tweet, Randy. He says, one more Titans player learned early this morning he tested positive in Tuesday's round of COVID-19 testing. Sources tell he and Mike Garofalo. He says, all of Tuesday's other tests in Tennessee and all tests for the Vikings came back negative this morning. So here you are with the Titans having all of those different positive tests. And all of a sudden, you'd think that you'd have a game that would be in danger of being played. The Titans and the Steelers, both 3-0, and by the way, scheduled to play this weekend. There has been talk of moving the game to Monday night because that would give the league more wiggle room in regards to dealing with a global pandemic that now has affected them. But, Michelle, if you look at what happened with the Cardinals, mm-hmm. the baseball Cardinals here, and the positive tests from being on a plane... How can you responsibly play this game this weekend? I know that that's probably the NFL's desire is to find a way to get it done. But if we learned anything with the outbreak that the Cardinals experience, it's that this it happens in waves. It's mm-hmm. the initial test and then you brace for a second day and then potentially a third day and hopefully not more than that, but potentially more than that of positive tests because these guys are interacting so closely. They are on planes. They are in meeting rooms. They are in locker rooms. They are practicing. Practicing. So if you have one guy, he's been ex- uh, exposed this virus to how many other people on the team. And if you are concerned about the virus, and many people, many athletes aren't concerned about the virus. But if you're a member of the Steelers or of the Texans who play the Vikings this week, and as Tom wrote, still no, uh, no resent- results positive tests for the Vikings, mm-hmm. but the virus does take time to incubate. But how comfortable are you if you're a player for the Steelers or the Texans that either has underlying conditions or a family member with underlying conditions or maybe a parent or an in-law living at home and you're playing against a guy that may or may not have been exposed to it. I don't feel comfortable at all. Um, And if I'm the NFL, I shouldn't feel comfortable having these games go off either because the last thing you would want is for it to be not one and potentially two teams that are impacted, but now four. And then that disrupts the schedule and the projection of the schedule and the health and safety of all of these players and personnel guys that much more. If I'm Roger Goodell in the league, my thought process is going to be I will take this week off for those four teams and use the exact same approach that baseball used with the Cardinals. I'm going to go with winning percentage. Mm -hmm. You can't play a doubleheader. You can't make up these games in the NFL. So for the Steelers, the Titans, the Texans, and the Vikings, I'm not playing these games this weekend. And if it turns out that the Vikings have or the Steelers have played one fewer game than the Ravens and have a better winning percentage, that's what we're dealing with in the midst of a global pandemic. Do you think these are conversations they had prior to the season or do you think that they just said, hey, we're going to roll the dice and then we'll adjust as needed? I think knowing the way the NFL reacts rather than being proactive, mm-hmm. I would think that they thought, oh, we'll be fine. And if something does happen, then we'll react to it because they have become a reactionary league rather than a proactive one. Which is short-sighted 
especially mm-hmm. based on what we saw out of Major League Baseball, it's been proven that the bubble system works and that if you're not in a bubble, that this is probably not going to, you're probably not going to get through the season unscathed. You're probably not going to get through the season without any team or any amount of players testing positive. And so I would have hoped that this would have been something that they had a contingency plan for, that they would have said, hey, we had thought about this prior based on what we saw out of Major League Baseball, and this is the path we're going to take. And I would I would have imagined that they would have had conversations with these team officials, whether it's with the front office or the coaching staff, saying, hey, we're not going to publicly say this, but if this happens, we want everybody to know that this is what we're going to do. But I don't think that that's the case. Another point to be made here is that Alabama had no problem playing against Mizzou, and Mizzou had up to a dozen positive tests. Not that they were playing, but you have to believe that there were Mizzou players tested every day Mm -hmm. that were exposed to the coronavirus, and we don't know if Alabama was affected by that. But there isn't much fear in sports. So maybe the NFL and players are saying, I'm not even going to worry about it. Those four guys on the Titans can sit out. And until more guys test positive, I'm not even going to worry about it. So if you're the league, you just let the Titans play without those four this weekend and let the other three teams go on about their business. That's certainly a possibility. But then what happens if they play the game and then more players test positive? And then the question is, well, didn't you, weren't you understanding the incubation period that happens and that you might not get an immediate positive test based based on the, the contact tracing and the way that this this virus develops. I just think you open yourself up to a lot more problems and a lot more questions if you if you take that approach. I think you do from people that actually care. But there's a lot of people that don't care. You've been around a lot of people that don't care. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of athletes that believe that they're invincible and they're, they've been told, hey, I'm a young athlete and it doesn't affect me at all. If I get it, it'll be gone in a week and a half and I'll be back to my life. They don't look at ramifications. And I'm just, whether whatever your opinion is about it, they aren't looking at ramifications. The young athletes aren't in regards to dealing with it. Those that are concerned about the ramifications, they've opted out. So you just let these guys go about their business I and let me watch football. <laughs> That's Damn <true>. it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Don't mess with my Sundays, Randy. But I wonder if you took a vote to the Steelers, if you said, hey, this vote is going to determine whether you play or not, if you feel comfortable playing. I I really am curious to see what the percentage would be for yeses and nos, because to your point, I wonder if the players are saying, well, let's just go ahead and do it because I think I'll be okay." And if those are the only four players that tested positive, if the testing comes back that they get with the next round of tests and they don't have anybody else, even though the potential is there that you could have more positive tests. I wonder if they would look at the scenario and say, I think we're in the clear. Let's go. It, it all comes down to how serious they think the virus is, how much respect they have for what the virus can do, not only in the near term, but in the long term. And my guess is, is based on being around the football players that I've been around, that they really aren't concerned. They they seriously think that they're invincible. But what about a guy like Mike Tomlin? Is he going to want to put his players in a position to potentially be exposed to guys who could have this? That's a great question. And he's the only one that can answer that. But I'm guessing that regardless of what he thinks, the fact of the matter is the league is getting paid billions of dollars to stage these games on TV. And 
whatever whatever health issues may arise from this, they will be more than offset by the amount of money the league makes. That's billions with a B. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's, it's a lot. At the end of the day, it's a lot for them and college football too. Why is the Big Ten playing? Why is the Pac-12 back? Because they're making a ton of money. Is that, isn't that that any sport? Follow the money? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Follow the money. Follow the money. And it would be different if they were playing in a bubble. Hey, you didn't have any tests in the, in the NBA. You didn't have any tests in the NHL. But this is not a bubble scenario. Their scenario is just like baseball where – if a player goes to a gas station or goes to a grocery store, goes to a bank and contracts it, then comes back into the locker room the next day, then all hell can break loose, at least in terms of positive tests. But that's where we are. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. And coming up today, you've got KK against Chris Paddock. How do you see this one playing out? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. Cards and Padres game one this afternoon at four on ESPN2. KK pitches against Paddock and... KK, Michelle, has been a revelation. Started the season, obviously, as a Cardinal closer, but has been sensational as a starting pitcher. He really has, and I'm very excited for him to get this opportunity, and I love this matchup today, KK versus Paddock. I think it leans heavily in the Cardinals' favor. Mike Schilt has liked what he's seen. Really dealt with a lot of different things. This is well documented over the course of the season. Him as much as anybody else, or probably more, and... Um, has been a complete pro throughout of it. And no, he's been a pro in the way he's handled it, but he's performed extremely well on the mound and effective against righties, effective against lefties, pitches for both, changes speed, great competitor, pitch maker, excited for him to pitch game one. The only thing that didn't happen to him was test positive. <laughs> yeah. He started in the bullpen. They made him a closer. When everything got shut down on March 12th, his family is still in South Korea and they never came here. So he was living here alone for March, April, May, June, until he got the opportunity to actually work out with his team in July. He spent much of the time throwing with Adam Wainwright here in St. Louis. But here's a guy that makes a move, doesn't speak the language, Mm -hmm. doesn't have his family with him, living alone for four months before he gets a chance to do what he came here to do. Yeah, think about this. This game today is a breeze for him. This This is what he knows how to do. I can't imagine... Coming here during this time, not having my family, not speaking the language, being so unfamiliar with everything around me, today should be a relaxation for a guy like Kim, right? Yeah, and you couldn't just go into a restaurant with a menu. I remember one time the Flyers had a bunch of Russian players, and their play-by-play guy told me that one time they were in Tampa. They were flying in. I don't know where they were, but they were flying into Tampa, and he said to the Russian players, he wanted to be nice, he said, you guys want to go out to dinner? And they said, sure. And he said, you know, the best steakhouse in America, Burns Steakhouse, is in Tampa. Let's go there. No, Denny's. But we can go to the best steakhouse in America, Burns Steakhouse. You guys can have great steaks. No, Denny's. So he takes his half dozen guys to the Denny's by the airport in Tampa. And they sit down at the table. And the waiter comes. And they're pointing out pictures 
for what they want. They couldn't read the language yet. So that's why they wanted to go to Denny's because they had the pictures of the food on the menu. I wonder if Instagram has changed that at all because a lot of times you can pull up restaurants and they have pictures of the food on Instagram. Yeah, that's a great point. I know when I go somewhere, if I'm going to brunch, I'm pulling up the restaurant on Instagram to see what, what the stuff looks like. Yeah. So maybe that's helped. But gosh, I can't even imagine how difficult that is. So I wonder if KK just went to Schnooks and prepared all of his own food, how that worked. But he has dealt with a lot of adversity and that's got to benefit him now. This is why he came here to pitch in the major league playoffs. And Matt Carpenter, he's seen a lot of pitchers over his time and played behind a lot. What's he seen from this guy? I mean, I see a guy who's just a really great competitor. Um, You know, you found out from him, you know, earlier this year, um, you know, this kid's a guy who's won four championships, um, you know, in his country and then comes over here and just kind of fits in right away with our staff and our club, just with the way he goes out and goes out and competes every single time. So I'm really, was really impressed with just what kind of a winner and competitor he is. And then just, you know, you can't say enough about just the pace that he pitches with, um, his ability to throw strikes, get his defense to make plays behind him. He's a lot of fun to play, play, play with. I do love the pace in which he goes about the game, the way that he attacks. And you mentioned something that I, I do want to circle back to about how KK came over here. And who's the guy that made sure to spend time with him and Adam Wainwright? Right. Yep. We said a lot this season about what Adam Wainwright has done for this team, both on the mound and off as a leader. But even something as simple as that. For him to say, hey, I recognize that a guy like Kim is coming over here and this is an unfamiliar place for him. He doesn't speak the language. I'm going to make sure that I spend time with him so he feels welcome and he feels part of this team. As the leader of the staff, that's huge. And I think that that probably benefits a guy like Kim. It's a, it's a to, great point. To feel more comfortable and feel more part of the team when the guy, a guy like Adam Wainwright is going out of his way to spend time with you. Yeah, and... That's what leaders are made of, isn't it? That's why you become a leader, because you treat people, you you concern yourself with people and, and care about people. And that's the way Wayno is. He's just perfect. He's immaculate in that regard. He is uh, the consummate cardinal, isn't he? But with Wainwright and Kim, I like this matchup today between Kim and Paddock. And I truly think if Kim can go out today and deal, if he can go out and do what we anticipate that he does and the Cardinals can grab game one, don't you have every confidence in the world in Adam Wainwright in game two? Not mm-hmm. only because of what we've seen out of him this season, how he's shown up for his team anytime their back is against the wall and they need a boost and he's just been un- unbelievable. But let's rewind and roll it back to last postseason. Adam Wainwright was great last year in the postseason. He didn't get the run support that we would have liked, but mm-hmm. th- these are the moments where, where he ascends. No doubt about it. And one more Cardinal player on KK, and that's Tommy Edmond. He's just done a great job of going right after guys. He doesn't really mess around too much and um, comes at them with a variety of pitches, and um, that's definitely something that you want in a game one starter is someone who's not going to mess around and um, not be afraid of hitters that we're going to we're going to be facing. We know San Diego's got a good lineup, but um, we trust KK to, to go out there and just do what he's done all year. And uh, he's proven to be be able to adapt to a lot of different circumstances. And I think that's going to serve him well in this first game. One of the circumstances that he's going to adapt to is playing a team outside of the NL Central. We talked earlier, and Dan would always talk about how 
difficult it was for people that hadn't seen KK before to deal with seeing him for the first time. That has to work in his favor today. Yeah, you would think it was. And I'm sure that that's something that Mike Schultz and the staff was thinking about when they assigned him to be the game one starter. Yeah, and by the way, some stats for you among NL pitchers with at least six starts. KK first in ERA, seventh in whip, tied for eighth in opponent's average against. So he obviously has turned in a great performance, even when he's seeing teams a second and third time. How big of an advantage do you think it is for the Cardinals that they're not seeing Lamette or Clevenger in this first game? I think that's a huge advantage. Chris yeah. Paddock, though, had a really good year. He's, he's tough, too, but I did not want to see Clevenger. The reason they got him from Cleveland is to pitch this game, mm-hmm. and now he's not going to be there for him. Another difference for the Cardinals this game is going to be Dylan Carlson in the playoffs hitting fourth. Uh, I haven't hit fourth the whole time. I've hit, uh, like you said, I've hit first or second most of my career. So, uh, yeah, you know, just trying to keep everything as simple as possible and uh, just going out there and playing the game. Don't try to be a number four hitter. That's my advice because I'm a, I'm a veteran baseball coach and player, Michelle, as you know. <laughs> my advice for Dylan Carlson is you be you, as BT would say. And don't try to be Jack Clark or Mark McGuire. Just be Dylan Carlson. Yeah, don't press, right? Right. Get out of your head. Just get in, get in there and do what you're capable of doing. I have a good feeling about Carlson today, especially in, in that cleanup spot. He's my pick to click, Randy. That's a good pick to click. I'm going to go with Pauly D. Okay, also because a good pick to click. I, I think actually for if if the Cardinals can survive this and get to the next series, I, I think if they're going to be carried, and we did the f- segment yesterday about who could be the hero, I do think there are two guys on this team capable of getting hot for a month. One of them is obviously Paul Goldschmidt, and the other one to me is DeYoung. Does Goldie count if he's been consistent all season? I'm talking about off the charts great. Like MVP yeah. great? Yeah, carrying the team. Okay. So, yeah, so... I could see him doing it, and especially he's got a great history against the Dodgers. He hasn't been as great at Petco. Goldie against L.A. has been a monster. So if you get into that series, then you might have something. Wouldn't you love to see that? That'd be fantastic. So it'll be fun. What other games, Michelle, intrigue you? And by the way, all eight series are going to be played today. I I really am intrigued now, and I I wasn't because I kind of thought Cleveland would handle the Yankees, the the way the Yanks stumbled into the postseason and the way Cleveland pitches. But if you're handling the best pitcher in baseball last night, the way that the Yankees did, I kind of favor the Yankees. My feelings about that series have changed now, and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really interested in watching the Reds and the Braves. And that one starts at 11 o'clock St. Louis time. Yeah, that's one I'm definitely going to have queued up. Can't wait to see the Braves and the Reds. I think that's a really interesting matchup. And I also think Cubs-Marlins could mm-hmm. be very intriguing. As Mark DeRosa said, that could be a potential trap series. I don't think, and there have been some pretty nondescript playoff teams over the years. For example, when Joe Madden was managing Tampa and they made the playoffs. By the way, every year... Oakland has different guys. Bob Melvin, I didn't realize this. Bob Melvin has led the A's to the playoffs six times. But they play out on the West Coast and they play a lot of yeah. late games, so you don't see much of them. I don't think that there's ever been a playoff team that I know less about than the Marlins. <laughs> I, I I forget where I read this, but somebody was saying that it's even a game in Florida to be like, let's see how many Marlins we can name back and forth. I think so, yeah. They don't even know. Let me give you their lineup for their last game of the regular season, okay? This will just be this will be fun. Okay, uh, Corey Dickerson, heard of him? Know who he is? Starling Marte, okay, we we know him. Uh, Jesus Aguilar hit third for them, former Brewer, so we know him. 
Brian Anderson at third, Matt Joyce in right, somebody named John Birdie, who hit 258 <laughs> with uh, two homers, 14 RBI, 738 OPS. John Birdie was their uh, second baseman, last game of the season. Chisholm is their shortstop, Jazz Chisholm. I know the name because I like the name. Great name. Jazz. Uh, and then you had uh, Chris Wallach, I think, is their catcher. No, Chad. Chad Wallach is their catcher. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I, I really don't know. And then Magnura Sierra played left field for him. We know him because of the trade for Marcelo Zuna. Right. But it's a really nondescript group of players that has done wonderful things. And hopefully people pay attention to them and, le- and at least learn a little bit about them because what they did is kind of magical. It really is. And I, I love Derek Jeter's comments how he said, hey, this was a, a tough season and this has been certainly a building process for us and this is a big stepping stone. So these are guys you might want to pay attention to because hopefully it is a step in the right direction for them. Did you see that after they clinched and I believe it was Friday or Saturday after they clinched, Jeter went late into the night calling every member of their front office and scouting department congratulating them. I did see that, and it didn't surprise me at all that that would be a move that the captain would make because it's all mm-hmm. class all around. Yeah, even the uh, when they walk in his house, though, it's, they, they still have to put their phone in the basket. You know what? After watching The Social Dilemma, Randy, I think that's a very, very smart approach. I think Derek Jeter had the, the right <laughs> approach all along. <laughs> Just spend some quality time with each other. Yeah. And then maybe that wasn't his intent. Maybe his intent was so that there wouldn't be any information leaked. But really, he could look back on that and say, I just wanted to spend quality time with my guests and not be distracted. Smart. Smart. He's a step ahead of us always. Coming up on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls. Coming your way next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, Michelle, what do you got for us today? You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, I think most people have had a pretty terrible 2020. Yeah. Not been great for most of us, except for Patrick Mahomes. He's having a great 2020. Shall we run through the list of great things that he's had in 2020? We shall. Okay, so we remember he kicked off the year by, oh, winning a Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. securing the game's MVP trophy. Pretty good way to start the year. Uh, we remember this summer, back in July, that massive contract with the Chiefs that, pay, that paid him $500 million. Pretty good. Half a bill. Not bad. Then, the same day he got his Super Bowl ring in September, he also proposed to his girlfriend, Brittany Matthews. Um, obviously had a great start to the year. The Chiefs were sitting at 3-0. and He just outdueled Lamar Jackson on Monday Night Football. And if that wasn't enough, Randy... He announced yesterday, he and Brittany announced that they are expecting. So Patrick Mahomes is going to be a dad. Congratulations Congratulations. to Missouri's quarterback. There you go. That's great. Blues fan, obviously, and uh, just seems like an all-around great guy. So congratulations to he and Brittany. They talk about athletes getting dad strength. Well, dads in general getting dad strength, but especially athletes, they say, oh, watch out. If he has a baby, he's going to have dad strength. Imagine Patrick Mahomes with dad strength. scary. Yeah. By the way, he also bought into the Royals. That's right. Part I didn't of even a sports team. add that to the list, which yeah. is obviously an exciting thing too. He's so all of the bad things that have happened in 2020, he's just gotten all of the good stuff. They don't apply to him. They don't apply when you're Patrick Mahomes, a pandemic, bad, bad juju does not apply to you. Yeah. Must be nice. We used to say that about Kurt Warner before game 7 of 2000 then it happened. 
Yeah, but this is one of the all-time runs. Oh, this is great. Yeah, this is what a year, especially when everybody else is having a bad year. Unbelievable. Yeah. Personal and professional. Yeah. How can you not like that guy? How can you not like Patrick Mahomes? It's annoying to me because I find Chiefs fans to be insufferable now. They're one of the worst fan bases out there. <laughs> they they just are too gloaty for me. You know, listen, I, I know that we're Cardinals fans here, so yeah. it's the pot calling we're, the kettle. We're kind of insufferable, <laughs> you know, yeah. We're insufferable, too, so I feel like I can say that because I can acknowledge that we, too, <laughs> are that. So I can, I can see us mirrored in Chiefs fans. But Chiefs Twitter has become annoying. There's so many think, players on that team that I normally wouldn't cheer for. But how can you not? love Patrick Mahomes. How can you not love Andy Reid? I, I love them both. And I love them both. I know that there are a lot of people in our town, especially people that worked in Rams Park that have no use for Spags. But I always get along very well with Spags and I still text with him mm-hmm. and I like him a lot. So I root for him too. I like Spags as well. Did things go well here in St. Louis? Not really. Not really. Do I think it was a learning lesson for him and that he has grown as a coach? And am I happy to see him have success elsewhere? Yes. Mm -hmm. Good. Do you think he'll ever be a head coach again? No. I don't think that he would get a high recommendation from anybody. So, And he's 60 years old now. He's not a buddy of Sean McVay. That hurts. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, we have the NBA Finals, and I know we're all jacked up for postseason baseball. This is kind of a March Madness-style postseason baseball day. But let's not forget, we also have the NBA Finals, and you can listen to that game here on 101 ESPN. Tonight, pregame is at 7.30 p.m. So, Randy, I want to know, what's your official pick for the NBA Finals? Who do you think is going to win, and who's your MVP? I am going to pick the Lakers in seven. And my MVP is Anthony Davis. Whoa, okay. There is nobody, I mean nobody, in the NBA that gives LeBron James more fits than Jimmy Butler. And we know how tenacious he is as a defender. He's got the size. Not that LeBron is going to be shut down, but Jimmy Butler is the one guy in the league that historically has been able to frustrate LeBron. When Le- when Butler was with Chicago and LeBron was with Cleveland the first time and they played in the playoffs, Butler was a real hassle for LeBron. So I don't think LeBron's going to get shut down. I just think that he's going to be outshined by Anthony Davis. And I do think that the Lakers have more in this series. I, we, we're talking about the Cardinals experience. I think the Lakers experience, the, their experienced guys against the relatively inexperienced guys that Miami has will make a huge difference here. I'm also going Lakers in seven, but I'm picking LeBron as the MVP. Just listening to him, his quotes in the lead up to this, he's had it with the bubble, okay? Yeah. This is strictly business for him, and we have seen him take much much less talented teams to the promised land, and I just think that there's going to be, even if Anthony Davis in totality probably does a little bit more than LeBron, I think there's going to be a game where LeBron just absolutely dominates, and when it comes to awards like this, if LeBron isn't invisible, which in what scenario is LeBron invisible? I just think they're going to give the hardware to LeBron. Yeah, they probably will. So he'll be the the media's MVP, but the real MVP might be Davis. And by the way, remember how during Last Dance they had those ISOs of Scottie Pippen playing defense and just how relentless he was mm-hmm. defensively? I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to focus in on Jimmy Butler playing. And that's hard when LeBron's on the floor. But I'm going to try to focus in on Jimmy Butler defending him because I think that's going to be really interesting. While you think the Lakers are going to win, do you want the Lakers to win or are you cheering for the Heat? I want the Lakers to win. Why? 
because I want them to own Los Angeles sports. Yeah. It's- Lakers and Dodgers in the playoffs. It's Lakers town, Dodgers town. Guess who doesn't get any attention at all? Who? I don't even know what other Chargers. Sports, sports we'd be paying attention yeah, to char- out there. Char- Chargers don't get any attention. Or USC football. Or USC football. You see, this is difficult for me because I'm a LeBron fan. I And I love watching greatness. And I love greatness debates. So I would love mm-hmm. for LeBron to, to capture a very difficult championship in the bubble. To get another one. To continue this debate over who's better, he or Michael. Just any accolade that he can acquire. I love that debate. I always will. But there's something about Jimmy Butler. There's something about Pat Riley. There's something about this Heat team, the Heat getting to this point to go against LeBron that makes me really want to cheer for the Heat, too. You use the word gritty. If you want to just see the definition in basketball, it's Pat Riley and Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra, who's probably the most underrated head coach in the NBA. LeBron talked about that yesterday. He said because he had guys like me and guys like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, we got more of the accolades and more of the praise, but he's been essentially disrespected for how good he is as a coach. And I don't know how old he is, but he's looked like he's 25 forever. Yes, he has. Can you believe how young Eric Spolster looks? Yeah, what is it? Hydration, skincare routine? What do you think it is? They're in Miami. Miami. (laughs) They're in Miami. You know who else I can't wait to see on the stage is Tyler Hero. Yeah, that backcourt, Hero and Robinson, is, they're fun. They are Somebody fun. compared them to the Splash Brothers. I don't, I'm not going to go there yet, but they are a fun pair to watch. You're killing me, Small. Okay, one more note from the NBA. Randy, we haven't talked about this person in a long time, and I'm glad, but I do want to bring this up. So LeVar Ball, we know that he runs his mouth. That's just what he's famous for. And much to the chagrin excuse me, of his sons, oftentimes, he had recently said that he doesn't want LaMelo, his youngest son, to be with the Warriors when it comes to the draft. He said, quote, that's the part I don't like about Golden State. They got Clay and other guys, and now you want to put Melo in that mix to say you got to follow these guys. Melo ain't no follower. Well, LaMelo Ball spoke for himself, Randy. And he says he doesn't agree with his dad that the Warriors are could be a good fit for him at number two. He said, quote, my old man, he's his own man. He has his opinions. I have mine. Like I said, I feel like I can play on any team. Anywhere is a great fit. Good for him. I'm interested to see what they do because I know those guys aren't spring chickens, but they do have them under contract for a long time. So if you're the Warriors... And you traded for Andrew Wiggins, who's your nominal replacement for Durant. Do you increase your, and you do need to increase your guard depth because you lost Sean Livingston. And so you need another guard. But if there's a great big man available, James Wiseman, who went to Memphis, if, if you can get a rim protector like that, because you've lost all of those guys, do you go that direction or do you kind of build for the future by getting a LaMelo? I, if I were them, question. I would take the big guy because I think the big guy gives you a better opportunity to win now. I was going to say, I think I would go win now. I would capitalize on the talent that I have while I have it. Yeah. And even though he's kind of quieted down, I would not want to introduce any sort of the LeVar Ball drama into no. my organization. No, that's one of the reasons, in addition to getting AD, but one of the reasons that the Lakers made the move with the oldest one. Who, who am I leave? What's his name? Uh, Lonzo. Lonzo is because LeBron just hated the idea of being about <laughs> around LeVar Ball. So. I can't imagine LeBron trying to deal with the headache of LeVar Ball. Yeah. So he, he, he got rid of it. LeBron doesn't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, he got an Advil for that. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That's, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, we will preview the Cards and Padres a little bit more. Tony Gwynn Jr., Padres radio broadcaster, is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It will shock you to know that it's 72 degrees right now in San Diego, <laughs> California. And it'll be about 75, 77 at game time. And Tony Gwynn Jr. is just going to take it for granted because he lives that every single day. He's in San Diego. Joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Tony with Michelle Smallman. This is Randy Carricker. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Everything's terrific. Uh, let's start with this. Uh, this is a town uh, in San Diego that uh, doesn't have a football team anymore. So how are the Padres being received and this playoff run being received in San Diego? Uh, it's been received very well. Uh, as you mentioned, the Padres are the only major team. He has really been waiting for this for quite some time. It's been 14 years since the Padres have been in the playoffs, and it's been a tough 14 years, but um, it all seems like it's been worth it. Even in this crazy 2020 year, uh, the fans have loved it, and they've been along for the ride every moment of it thus far. Tony, as you mentioned, it's been a long 14 years since the Padres have been there. The Cardinals are a team that is seemingly in the postseason almost every year. And when we talk about this matchup, experience has been something that's brought up as a potential X factor. But from where you stand through the Padres lens, do you think that's something that could affect this team or intimidate them, that they haven't had this experience and they're going against an organization and a team that has had this experience? I don't think so. They, they kind of have a, 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 a us versus everybody mentality. And um, with with no fans, I'm not sure how much experience is going to play. You don't have uh, the, the regular setting that you would have for a, reg, uh, for a playoffs, right? You don't have uh, thousands of fans reminding you on a road game that uh, you're supposed to lose and you're supposed to have these nerves. Now, My guess is that a lot of these guys will have nerves. I mean, it's natural. It's kind of a a human uh, human emotion that we all deal with. But in this year, I just don't see that being as big of a factor. Not to mention, the Padres have some guys who who have some experience. Eric Hosmer's won a World Series. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal has been through this many times before. So uh, I don't know that the experience – factor comes into play with the pods because they got such a good mix of uh, of veterans and young guys. Tony Gwynn Jr. joining us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Tony, when the Cardinals were really rolling and a team that you played against in the mid-2000s, when they had Roland and Edmonds and Albert, we knew that Albert was the man, even though the other two were great. Pujols was the man. What about with the Padres? You, you mentioned Hosmer. Will Myers had a great season. Machado, Tatis. Who is the man with the Padres offense? I mean, it, for the most part of the year, it seemed like the attention had gone to Fernando, Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, 21 years of age, uh, really set the league on fire uh, for that first month and, and a quarter. And then, um, you got a chance to when he kind of came down a little bit and had his little slump at the end. You got I think people started getting an appreciation for Manny Machado, uh, who was really consistent all year long, really uh, solidified the middle of that order. 
And I, I think he's probably ahead of Fernando Tatis Jr. in terms of having a chance to win an MVP. He's had a terrific season thus far. I think he is the, the key to this offense because when you have Machado swinging the bat well, or excuse me, when you have Tatis Jr. swinging the bat well and Machado hitting behind him, um, this lineup becomes very dangerous. It's a very deep lineup. They've been one of the best offenses all year. But uh, in my opinion, I think it's Manny Machado that, that's going to be the biggest factor in this series. So if Mike Schilt uses that old adage, especially in the playoffs, I've got one guy that's not going to beat me, that I'm not going to allow to beat me. Machado's that guy that doesn't beat the Cardinals. I think so. I think so, especially because of the way he finished the season. He's the guy uh, that really stirs the drink when it comes to producing runs. So uh, if there's if there's the one guy that that Schultz isn't going to let him uh, isn't going to let beat him, it's definitely going to be Manny Machado. Tony, Chris Paddock gets the ball for game one when asked about his mentality heading into this game. He says he's going to go out there and dominate. What are your expectations for him in this first game? Not not surprising to hear Chris say that. He, he's he's a confident kid. He wants the ball in these moments. Um, he's he's had a, a, an uneven season for him. I mean, especially after last year pitching as well as he did in his rookie season. He hasn't quite got to that point this year, but uh, he's never one to, to shy away from these moments, and I think uh, that's part of that's half the battle is, is wanting to be in these moments. He certainly fits the bill there. Uh, it's it's really a matter of of, of how how well he's going to pitch. Like I said, he's it's been an uneven season for him in terms of the production, and if he can find a way, and listen, we see it all the time. Guys have bad season, they get to the playoffs, all of a sudden they're like a new person. So he's hoping that hoping that 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 latter. Um, part is is him, where he kind of rejuvenates himself and and gets rolling right at the right time. Tony Gwynn Jr. with us on 101 ESPN. Tony, uh, it's hard to cover teams now like we ordinarily have because it is 2020. So give us what you know about Lamette and uh, Mike Clevenger. Is there a chance that we'll see them during this series? Uh, yeah, there's a chance. I mean, I know as much as anybody else knows right now. The Padres have kept this very tight. Uh, we've seen pictures of of guys throwing flat grounds. We haven't seen anybody off the mound. Uh, and, and so there's a, there's obviously some concern there because you made the deal for Mike Clevenger, expecting him to be able to pitch in these very moments. Denelson Lamette, who is a Cy Young candidate, has been terrific all season long. You expected to have those two guys. And right now, uh, I, I, we got another two hours and 20 minutes before we find out exactly who is on this playoff roster because as of right now, there is just a lot of question marks. I, I'm hopeful that those two guys will be available, but uh, it's certainly not guaranteed by any stretch of the imagination. Well, Tony, it's funny that you mentioned that because our producer just handed us a note as we're having this conversation. Conversation. Jeff Passan just tweeted this. He says, Mike Clevenger unlikely to pitch in the wild card series and perhaps the rest of the playoffs after a Tuesday bullpen session didn't resolve questions about his short and long-term arm health. Significant concerns persist. So if that's the case, if he's not available for the Padres, how much does that impact them? Um. It impacts them, obviously. I mean, if you are successful enough to get through the wild card, the series becomes a best of five, you're going to need more starting pitching. So obviously not having Mike Clevenger is a big deal. But it's an even bigger deal if now Denelson Lamette can't go. Because now 
you're really shorthanded in terms of your starting rotation, and that's even for the wild card round. So um, that's disappointing. It, it's uh, that's what we had been hearing the whole time is that Mike Clevenger was a long shot in this, uh, but now the the tension squarely turns to the Nelson Lamette and his availability for for this wild card series and beyond because. Without them, the without both of them, the Padres are really shorthanded in the starting rotation. Tony, we also want to ask you about a guy we are familiar with here in St. Louis and Tommy Pham. We know that Tommy is a guy who gets very motivated. So, do you expect him to potentially have a big series facing his former team in the Cardinals? I do. As you guys know, Tommy is is a very motivated person. He plays with that chip on his shoulder, and I, I think. Mainly, he's upset that he didn't have the season that he wanted to have. And that in itself is motivation going into these playoffs. He started to swing the bat really well uh, coming off that broken handmate here in the last, I'd say, five games that he got to participate. And that is, couldn't, that's music to the Padres' ears because their offense really didn't miss a beat when he's gone. So if you add him to, the, to that lineup, I think that Padres uh, offense gets even better. And listen, when you when you if if you are going to be missing your two be, two best starters, uh, you're probably going to need more offense. So Tommy Pham's coming, getting healthy right at the right time. He's motivated. I expect him to have a big series as well. Final thing for Tony Gwynn Jr. The Padres win this series and eliminate the Cardinals if if the offense continues to put up runs the way they have during the regular season. That that has been their calling card. As good as the pitching has been, uh, the offense has been the consistent part of this team all year long. They can get up to that five runs that they have been during the regular season, which, listen, postseason is a different ballgame. We know runs are a little harder to come by, but if they are able to do that, they win this series. Tony, this was awesome. Thanks for taking some time with us. Have a great call this afternoon and tomorrow. And uh, we'll talk to you again. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Tony Gwynn Jr. joining us on 101 ESPN. We got a text. Uh, he sounds just like his dad. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. That's awesome. Great to have Tony Gwynn Jr. with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to cross things over as we head towards Scoops with Danny Mac, Dan McLaughlin, the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest, coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's newest door. Number 41 in Eureka is now open. As we always do, we look forward to scoops with Danny Mack. And Dan McLaughlin is here in studio and getting ready for the show. Good morning, sir. Getting ready for baseball, playoff baseball. I'm excited. How are you uh, How are you guys doing? We're excited, too. Yeah. I enjoyed the playoff baseball yesterday. I did, too, and today's even better. We got more games today, and um, I'm in for expanded playoffs. I think this is a good thing for the game. I know it's uh, a one-off for 2020, but I'd I like to see more expanded playoffs as we move forward in 2021. I think it's good for the game. Do you still savor Cardinal playoff appearances. I oh, we put yeah. together, and we're going to have a feature every single day. We're going to have uh, this Best date. moments. I saw it. Yeah. Mike is working on it's them right now. this date in Cardinal postseason history, because not many teams can do this, but they've got literally a highlight from every single day in October up to until the 28th. 
freeze home run, the latest they've ever played in the World Series. Not many teams can do that, have a great moment from every day in October. And I think it's easy to be entitled and get used to being in the playoffs and not savor it. But I'm like you. I do, and I can't wait until they start. Yeah, I, and you can go against the San Diego Padres and have those. You can have the Dodgers. You can have the Mets. I mean, you start thinking about the teams Cardinals have played even just since twenty. Uh, since 2000 and all the games that they played. I've mentioned this now a couple of times this week. The, only the Yankees have played more games than the St. Louis Cardinals since 2000. I think the Cardinals have had 134 playoff games since 2000. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of playoff games. That's a lot of that's a lot of heartache and anxious moments. Yeah. That, that, those... I don't know about you. I get sweaty palms watching these games. It's, it's but great. It's the best feeling. You feel like you may die at any second, but you never <laughs> feel more vibrant and alive at the it's, same time. They're anxious. They're they're anxious moments. I mean, if you're a Cardinal fan that's uh, as anxious as you get, I think watching these games and um, you kind of live and die with every pitch and it's fun. It's it's why you you do this for six months and and you live and die with the team in the regular season. So I'm I'm looking forward to today. It's a it's a different year, but um, I don't know if it feels like a normal playoff season, but yet it's uh, it's still fun to watch. Well, what about this matchup, Dan? Gives you the most anxiety? Offense, uh, just like the regular season. I, I think the pitching will be fine. I think KK will be fine, even though it's his first major league baseball playoff. Uh, appearance, but he's been in, you know, he's not a normal rookie. I like how they set up the rotation. I think it was the right move to go with KK, Wayno, and, and Flaherty. I thought KK deserved the game one. You got to give Wayno a start with something on the line. And, and Jack just has not been the Jack of 2019 second half. And if you win the first couple of games, then you got him lined up mm-hmm. to go. Or if you have a game on the line, I'm not sure. You know, there's a better third option, if you will, to to have a game uh, deciding game than than Jack Flaherty. And you can break it down by saying that he just wasn't good against one team, and that was Milwaukee. Now he didn't have a great start against Chicago either. But if Jack Flaherty's on, and you get <clears throat> the Jack Flaherty of 2019, he, he can beat anybody. So I like how they set that up. But to your point, Michelle, or your question, I think it's the offense, which has been. All year long, that's been the biggest question mark. So who steps up, who gets hot, and who besides Paul Goldschmidt can the Cardinals count on or at least get something from to give them some type of offense? That, that to me, is the big question mark from the Cardinals' side. And from the Padres' side, can they get healthy with their pitching? Is Clevenger going to pitch? And if not, um, it's curious that they're going with Paddock in Game 1, and can the Cardinals get to him in Game 1? It's also going to be different this year for the first time in the playoffs because we've always had, in the National League, no DH. So managing becomes different in the playoffs now, too. I wonder if Mike is going to be more aggressive. He's a go-for-broke type manager. I I, I found it interesting that he didn't um, manage as aggressively, I thought, in this regular season than he did I agree. Uh, in the the year and a half that he's been the manager. Now, part of that is I, I think the club was a little run down. I, I think in, in there's always going to be tells and the numbers that dictate whether you, or not you run. But the club got on base a lot. Their on-base percentage was really good. And for a team that didn't slug, you would think that maybe you're going to be a team that hits and runs and, and steals a lot. They didn't do that. I, I wonder if he's going to be more aggressive in this postseason. I could see that. And one thing about trading Austin Hedges and getting the two catchers that San Diego got, I don't think they dramatically upgraded 
in terms of defending the running game. And Clevenger, by the way, is they, great. But at they defending. think though, but they think that that was of all their trades. Not to say that Tre- Trevor Rosenthal's been awesome. Yeah, and Clevenger is a difference maker when healthy. But I don't know if you heard the interview I had with Mark Sweeney yesterday. Yeah, I did. They they think that those two catchers are difference makers. They they say they flew under the radar, and they mm-hmm. think that those two guys are really difference makers with their team. Well, so we'll we'll find out. And they are they they've been around the block a little bit. At That's least. what they like. Yeah. And, and but I just wonder if the Cardinals do decide to get more aggressive, if the Padres are effectively set up to defend the running game. We'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll find out. I, I would like Gotta to see them base. run. And, and they, <laughs> the Cardinals, with the pitching and the fact that they have had a couple of days off, and now it is what it is, it's the playoffs, you try to manufacture runs in games like these. Well, playoff games always are decided, usually tight games, mm-hmm. right? You know, the pitching and one game or one run is, is can be decided uh, for the series. Can You know what I mean? They're so tight. Um, I'm really interested in what two days off does for this club. When you, you play 53 games in 44 days and you, you really don't have any time off and you play all those doubleheaders and you become a creature of habit of just going to the ballpark and you're, you're, you're just dragging – the two days off, I think, really will make a difference for this team. Um, I, I I would expect a little jump out of the club. I'd be surprised if there's not more jump out of the team, um, and and specifically Paul DeYoung. I, I'm I'm fascinated to see what he does today. I, you know, he might be out of gas. Maybe the club's out of gas. Who knows? We'll find out over the three days and over the course of the next couple of weeks. But. Um, I, I do think the two days off is going to be very beneficial for this club. And in addition to that, and Michelle, you were in San Diego last week. Mm-hmm. I heard an interview with Harrison Bader. He was talking about how refreshing it is to play at that ballpark particularly. You've oh, been man. out there uh, a ton. He, he said the weather, and he thinks they have the best uh, batter's box in the National League. Really? Yeah. I Well, good. I, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to make a difference, but yes. You hope so. But certainly, I, if you're a team that... And the Cardinals had to deal with some of the heat. But every day is refreshing in San Diego. It is. I've heard that, um, especially in August. Now, I don't know about October, but I do know when you go to the West Coast and it's July, you look forward to that Mm -hmm. trip. I can tell you that even as a broadcaster, when you're sitting in there, it's awesome. Um, But when you're playing at that ballpark, the ballpark is awesome Mm -hmm. anyway. But when you go out there and you hit the West Coast and just the weather in general... I mean, seriously, it does make a difference in the in the long course of a season. Petco Park, and I haven't had sushi at every ballpark. In fact, I've only had sushi at one. But <laughs> I don't see you as a uh, wine and cheese kind of guy, Randy. Not really, no. But sushi yeah. is, I, I can take sushi, uh, as the NFL would say, uh, more often than not. I, I like sushi. And they had really good ballpark sushi at Petco Park. I, t- you know, to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't go to the ballpark to get sushi. No. Okay, uh, I, I would. Pick I would go to a fufu place to get sushi. Yeah. I would. I yeah. would find the top place in the city to go get sushi. Believe me, Petco Park is a fufu place. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's in San Diego. Yeah, but that just because you're in the West Coast doesn't mean it's fufu. You're still at a ballpark. <laughs> yeah, you're still getting sushi at a ballpark. Yeah, yeah it's brats and hot dogs yeah. and. Popcorn, peanut, Cracker Jack, oh, man, they soda, like, beer. It, it's the normal ballpark. They, they have veggie dogs. Yeah, but that's okay. You know, 
that you go to San Francisco, you're getting the garlic fries. Those it stinks are the like best. garlic, and you're hungry, even though you may have just had a 12 pound steak. Go through the gates, and you're hungry at, at you are. Oracle. For sure, when you yeah. go to San Francisco. You know, a ballpark that has sneaky great snacks was in uh, Kansas City. They have those. Um, Out in right field. Yeah, they're like the donut fries. You know what I'm talking about? The um, well, those, those are the the thing that you dip in the the deep fries stuff. Yes. And then they put they sprinkle the stuff on it. Yes. Yeah, powdered sugar. Powdered yeah. sugar, so good. Yeah. yeah, those are good. They also have in uh, so okay. as you guys know because you're addicted to coffee. My son is addicted to coffee as well, and he likes the Dunkin' Donuts coffee, which mm-hmm. costs like a buck here. The exact same cup of coffee at Kauffman Stadium is ten dollars. Ten dollars. Dunkin', Dunkin' Donuts coffee is ten bucks at the KC ballpark. At Fenway, you can get. Anywhere you go, you can get a cup of coffee. For like oh, 25 yeah. cents. Yeah. In <laughs> Seattle, shockingly, you can get a cup of coffee. Shocking. Anywhere. <laughs> Seattle, you are in uh, San Francisco, you can get a cup of coffee mm-hmm. just about anywhere. That's what I miss about going to the, all the different ballparks, because I get to the park early, and then they open up the gates, and everything's mm-hmm. opened up, and you can find little, you know, different things. Spots. Yeah. You got different places that you can go. Petco, the best thing about Petco is that you're done. And you literally, you there are where we stay there. You don't even have to leave the ballpark if you don't want to. There's a little walkway to the hotel. You can just walk right across the thing if you don't want to walk outside. Which I don't know why you wouldn't want to walk outside <laughs> yeah. if you're in San Diego. But if you wanted to, you can. You're attached to the hotel. And you wake up in the morning and look out your window, and you're going to see palm trees uh, and yeah, sun, and it's beautiful. I get up early out there because you're used to the Midwest time zone yep. and go for a walk it's it's about as good as it gets so all those guys now in a bubble you got the san diego bubble you got the arlington bubble you got the dodger bubble or la bubble and the where's the other one chicago um, yeah sh- no not chicago miami at chicago yeah but where are they playing oh there's four bubbles right no arlington oh where am I? once they get into the next round yeah so you've got arlington and houston yeah, Houston. That's the and other then one. L.A. Yeah. and Arlington, San Diego. Yeah, yeah, and San Diego. So away we go. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm a little shocked. I wonder if the writers were asked to pick their picks now, knowing the news on Clevenger. Good question. You know, mm-hmm. heavily favored with I, the Padres. I think BK yesterday said 54 or, or 56 out of 60 writers across ESPN, CBS, MLB had picked the Padres in the series. Something like 27 out of the 30. ESPN writers, yeah. I think, and something like 10 out of 12 at MLB.com. Well, wow. As I have said for many years, there has to be a dumbest person. <laughs> well, this is like uh, the opening of the NCAA tournament if you're this a baseball gonna fan. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. great. Yep. Yeah, Look looking forward, forward to it. it. What do we got coming up on Scoops? Brian Walton, kind of break down what's going on with baseball and uh, certainly dive into the Cardinals and the Padres today. Looking forward to it. Thank Look. you, sir. All right. Thanks, guys. That is the great Danny Mac and Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. Thanks to our producer engineer, Tanner Hendrickson, doing a great job. Michelle, as always, this was fun. This was fun, Randy. Enjoy the baseball today. I am absolutely going to. And thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.